Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt, and today we are doing something a little bit different. We are doing a Love by the King Optive Theology Podcast collaboration Christmas special, and we're super excited for you guys to join us. What we're going to be doing today is the first 30 minutes, uh, Reagan Kramer is going to be sitting down with Bev Canaris for a 30-minute interview on Christ as the coming Prince of Peace and then after that, Nick Gibson and I will be sitting down talking about Christ as the coming king and warrior. And then after that, we're going to be doing a about an hour to an hour and a half segment um, that we're going to call The Schmidt Show, where me, my mom, my dad, and Reagan sit down and talk about family reconciliation and how Christ coming to earth has made it possible for people and families to reconcile with each other. So that's our plan for today. We really hope you guys enjoy Isaiah 9-6 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, welcome to the collaboration of Love by the King podcast and Optive Theology podcast Christmas special. We are so um, excited and full of joy that we have a special guest today. Her name is Bev Canaris. Welcome, Bev. Thank you. So glad you're here. Glad to be here, <laughs> especially for Christmas. Yeah. It's such a beautiful, happy time of year, and it really focuses in on Christ if your eyes are open, you know? Yes, mm-hmm. amen. And that's yeah. kind of the purpose of why we're doing this. Um, we are just so excited to talk about the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, and what the Bible really says about um, who he is, the Prince of Peace, during this special time of Christmas. And if you would like to uh, get to know Bev a little bit more, she was actually on our season one, created uh, episode four, I believe, and it's titled Children of God. She gave an incredible testimony. So friends, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to that podcast. But we're going to just go right into it, Bev. I'm just so thankful you're here. You're a mom. You're a grandma. You're uh, a Bible teacher. You um, have done some incredible things in your life. And you actually have your own podcast, too, called She is Becoming with Delaney Dobbs. So you're a busy lady, but you came all the way here to talk to us. So we're so thankful. Thank you. Um, But let's get into the questions about the Prince of Peace. About 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah prophesied that a child would be born, a son given to redeem the world, and one of his names would be Prince of Peace. When we think about Christmas and the Christmas story, I feel like we you know, think about this cute little baby, he's going to be born in the manger to Joseph and young Mary. We think of shepherds and wise men, and we sing peace on earth, goodwill towards men. It's kind of like the warm, fuzzy feeling, right? But Bev, what is true peace and why does the Bible talk about it so much? Interesting, isn't it, to look at all those different names from Isaiah uh, describing Christ, this Messiah who was to come. And it ends on Prince of Peace. So right there gives us a little bit of an emphasis. What does it mean that Jesus is Prince of Peace? Um, True peace, uh, the Bible talks a lot about it, like you said, and it's used in different ways. Here, I believe that this peace is the very rich word that Scripture uses, shalom. And it means more than just a state of mind, like 
just kind of vegging out, as we would say today. Mm -hmm. Shalom, or peace, also means completeness, soundness, and well-being. It's also meant to bless with a need for material things or physical safety. So when you say shalom to somebody, you're 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 hoping for them to have all that as well. Um, it's also uh, one of my favorite definitions is this: spiritual well-being mm. is shalom, peace, spiritual well-being. The Bible also uses this as a greeting. The Apostle Paul used this in his letters, the epistles in the New Testament, and he greets them, and then sometimes he even signs off as peace be to you. So this was a, a common greeting held among Jews, and it was uh, just bestowing on people those rich blessings that that word shalom encompasses. Also in the rich meaning of this biblical peace is an association of righteousness and truth, which is quite surprising. We think of it just as, you know, no conflict. But this word shalom has so much more meaning. And this association with righteousness and truth really helps to zero in on Christ being the Prince of Peace. Peace or shalom really is a gift from God. Mm -hmm. That's why the Apostle Paul would ask the Lord, you know, he was sending peace. He was asking the Lord to give these people that peace. The nation of Israel looked forward to the Messiah who would usher in a kingdom of peace or shalom, a kingdom of righteousness and truth. So it's very rich in meaning that word shalom. Shalom, Bev. Yes, shalom. <laughs> <laughs> I love that word, too. It just brings, I, I just feel peace when I say shalom. And actually, Andy and I did a whole podcast on peace in our season one as well. So check that out if you haven't heard it. We get into the depth and richness of just that one word. Um, thank you for all that. That was an incredible description of what true peace is. And so I just want to reiterate, like, it is really hard to find true peace if you're not reading the Bible. Do you agree? Well, you have to be connected to the Prince of Peace in order to have that kind of peace. Yes, yes. So first... You can have a dull, quiet time, but it's not peace. Mm -hmm. It's not biblical shalom peace yes. apart from Christ. Yes. And so we need to receive him, but then be in his word and understand really who he is. Um, during this Advent season, as we wait in great expectation to celebrate the birth of Christ, what does it mean that Jesus, Jesus himself is the Prince of Peace? Well, we can turn to Luke 2, and we see there the birth of Christ was announced by the sh to the shepherds from this angelic choir. And listen to verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Mm -hmm. So the advent of Christ, what we celebrate at Christmas, was the long-awaited event. The Prince of Peace means that his rule will be characterized by peace. Now, this doesn't mean that we will not have any wars of nations or personal wars. It means that the Prince of Peace, Christ, will bring a peace with God. Mm -hmm. That's the peace that Christ brings. Christ brings peace to the relationships that went very wrong in the Garden of Eden. We have to go back to Adam and Eve, who chose to repel against God's only command. One command. They rebelled against it. And humanity has been choosing rebellion ever since. Now, the wrath of God, the Bible tells us, is on each of us. 
lot of times we don't like to think about that, but that is a biblical truth, that the wrath of God is upon us. We are at odds with God and can only be reconciled to a relationship of peace with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Christ on the cross took our punishment for sin, which is death, physical death, spiritual death. Those who put their faith in Christ as redeemer and savior, we then have the wrath of God lifted from our life. So this is how we, instead of God being an enemy, um, we have God as a friend, a God we can have peace with What because of what Christ has done for us. He mends our relationship so we can have peace with God. Don't you love that idea of him mending that relationship that was so torn from sin? The greatest and the most needed peace of all is the kind of peace that only Christ can give us. We exchange our sin for Christ's own righteousness that is imputed to us. Well, that's just a big word mean that we didn't do anything to receive it. It's just been given to us. Mm-hmm. It's imputed within us. I think of Romans 5.1 talks about this idea of Christ bringing peace. And it reads this way. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have been justified through faith, through faith in him and his redeeming work on the cross where that wrath of God was lifted. This is how we can have peace with God through Christ. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he is the only sinless being that could give us righteousness leading to peace with God because it's actually his righteousness in us that makes us right with mm-hmm. God. You yes. can just take the core word there and use it in that sense. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he's he is God's one and only son, which he gave up, God gave him up to a physical death so that we might regain a peace with God, a shalom peace in every sense of the word, truth, righteousness, um, a a settled joy in your life. It's uh, a beautiful gift and we can only get it through Christ. Mm, Yeah. And isn't that what we all want? We do. You know, it's like I think about um, we want, we all are searching for peace in some way, whether we know that it's from God or not. But we can't have peace with ourselves. We can't have peace with others until we have peace with God and our Creator through Christ. And what you just said and explained all all of those things about the Prince of Peace, like that never gets old, that gospel message. It's every time we hear it. And I think as Christians, we should just be so thankful that this is such a magnificent answer to the brokenness that we've had with God. So thank you for describing it that way. And we look everywhere else for that peace. Mm -hmm. And no matter what we do in this life, you're not going to find that peace, that true peace of heart and mind apart from him. That's right. So before the death of Jesus, he told his followers, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And that's John 14, 27. So Jesus told his followers before he died for the sins of the world on the cross and took the wrath for all humanity. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives. What is the peace the world gives, Bev, and what is the peace that Jesus gives? Well, right away, I think the peace that the world offers is 
always very flimsy. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a proverb that talks about um, you're trusting in a spider web. Yikes. <laughs> How easily that can just be swept away. And that really is the peace that the world offers you. Easily uh, swept away, flimsy. The world's peace is dependent on circumstances. And you know what? Circumstances are going to come and go. And so your peace is going to come and go. Yeah. But the peace of the Lord that the Lord gives through faith in Christ is not disrupted by circumstances. When we have a settled faith in Christ, we're together with him, we can ride the waves of circumstances and still have a peace that passes all understanding. The reason mm-hmm. it passes all understanding is it's not worldly peace that comes and goes and is that flimsy uh, spider web. True peace Shalom peace is a gift from God and cannot be manufactured by us. What an important truth that is. Yeah. We can't manufacture our own peace. We think we can. If this changes or that changes, or if the world does this, or if you know this political move happens, we'll have peace. I doubt it. Right. It's it. You can't manufacture the kind of peace that God promises through Christ. This security, this shalom of soul, equips us to serve Him as well. Without that settled peace with God, it will be hard to share your faith because you yourself are uncertain as to where you stand with God. That's right, and that's a hard place to be. It is. It is. You're very uncertain, and you don't have peace. And when we have peace with God, we don't even have to fear death. We don't have to fear anything. We don't. And if right now in our culture, fear is rampant. It's rampant. And it's destroying a lot of lives and especially a lot of mental health. Yes, yes. So praise God that Jesus can enter into That's that. That's right. We need healing. Christmas more this year than ever. Yeah, amen. <laughs> Um, So following his resurrection, we read, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. John 20, 19. So it is just, when I was reading through the Gospels, it was just so striking to me how many times Jesus talks about peace and really wants his followers to understand that they can receive that um, from him. So before he dies and then after he is resurrected, he comes to the disciples. And the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Um, so can you, I, I can't imagine like, I'm just sitting in the room, like lock the doors all afraid because Jesus is gone. And then he shows up and he's like, all happy, peace be with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what that would have felt like. But that, that just solidifies the fact that it's so important to him that we know that. Um, why do you think peace is so important to Jesus? And why does he want us to have it, Bev? Oh, it's very important. Um, And this is why Jesus talked about it a lot. And you do find that very often any kind of heavenly messenger starts off with peace, Mm -hmm. telling them to have peace. Kind of a scary thing to be in that presence of God. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So how can we have peace in the presence of God, right? Mm -hmm. Peace with God is necessary for us in order to have the security we need for this life. Otherwise, we're we're just tossed around by circumstances. I cannot be um, tried again for my sins that is settled for me when I met Christ and his cross on my behalf. Mm -hmm. 
So I can have, it's settled, it's done, it's paid, and I can have a peace then and a security with God, and that transfers into every area of my life. When Christ appeared, when he resurrected to his, you know, he appeared to his disciples after resurrection, you're right, behind closed doors, the first thing out of his mouth is peace to you. Then he goes on to tell them, this is why you got to read before and after mm-hmm. some of these quotes. He says to them, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathes on them, giving them what was like a down payment of the Spirit who would fill them and equip them then for the work of the kingdom in the name of the Prince of Peace. So when Christ appeared again to his disciples, just you know, a few verses later, Thomas wasn't at the first one. Now he's this, he is, Christ is going to appear and Thomas is present. And he again says, peace be with you. Then he goes on to give Thomas the peace he needed to believe. Mm. Um, that of touching the very wounds of Christ. So Thomas then received the peace of God, and he made a great declaration of Christ, my Lord and my God. For a Jew to say that was an incredible pronouncement of faith. When his eyes were opened to see the truth of Christ and his being as Savior and Lord, this is what we proclaim as well, that he is both Lord and God. Awesome. Awesome. Isn't that a great scene when you think about Christ appearing? I love that. And it's a good scene to remember all through Christmas <laughs> um, because he gave him the faith. I love how you said he gave him the faith and how we can. I just, and I want to reiterate what you said that you cannot be tried again for your sins, that it is settled um, when you meet Christ in the, in the cross on our behalf. Because yeah. even as Christians, I think. We know that, and we know the gospel, but for ourselves every day, like we cannot be tried again. It is finished, and he has taken the wrath and put all of our sins upon him. So God does not notice them anymore, and they are gone as far as the east is from the west. And I yeah. think at Christmas, we need to remember that again and again. Mm-hmm. You have to keep Easter in mind at Christmas, don't you? Yes, exactly. But this was why he came into the world, was to die that sacrificial death on our behalf. And he not only forgives our past sins, he forgives the sin of today, and he's going to forgive your sin in the future. Now, does that just give you a license to sin? Not at all. Because when you when you receive that gift, you want to live in a way that honors and glorifies him. You realize obedience to him is not a burden. It's the greatest privilege, and it's the choice of happiness. That's right. You have a new life. Yeah, exactly. So for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians 1, 19 through 20. Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father. He shows us what God the Father is like. So how did the blood that Jesus shed on the cross bring peace and reconciliation to God? I mean, he must have really loved us to want us to reconcile back to himself, right? Oh, exactly. You know, that's why they say, you, you doubt God loves you? Look at the cross. Yes. Look mm-hmm. at the cross. Yes. That, that is how much God wants to have a relationship with you. That's how much he wants to give you this gift of peace. And so, Bev, I just want to ask a personal question. So where in your life have you experienced 
personally the peace of Christ in your life? Well, let me take you back to the the time when I was converted. I was about 20 years old, and um, a, a gal at my work was witnessing to me, and also I was watching my mother and father-in-law, who were godly people, and I thought I might have made a profession as a as a 12-year-old when I was baptized, but I hadn't been living it for many years up until 20, I guess that's not many years, is it? Like, you know, eight years there, I had really kind of put him on a shelf. But she kept talking about this born-again experience, and I kept listening, and one day I just asked her, how in the world are you born again? And she explained it to me, it, and I just was stricken. Hmm. I didn't have the peace of God. I did not have the peace of God. All I could think about was all my sin. I went home. I bowed down, and I had this picture of Jesus. I bowed down before it, and I just started weeping, hmm. confessing sin. Everyone I could think of, just everyone. So. I did not have the peace of God. And you do not have the peace of God if you don't have peace with your sins, What, what, how you have offended God. Um, and so I just poured out my heart to him. I knew I was living under his wrath and not living in a way that was pleasing to him. And But then I asked Christ, I wanted to be born again. I want to be a new person. I want to have faith in you, Jesus Christ. You take all those sins, those messy things, take them away from me right now. And so I I was still on my knees, still my face was wet, and I felt the peace of God come mm. over me. I get the chills right now. Mm. My legs have goosebumps on Amazing. it. I mean, just his presence and his cleansing i just was washed it was over and i had the peace of god in my life you don't get the peace of god without the confession of christ and the repentance of sin those two things go together they really do it's really to be one experience where we're repenting and believing so i have to say that was a powerful experience of peace hallelujah yeah also, I remember we were trying to conceive our first child, and I, you know, I was doing all the gadgets, <laughs> taking my temperature, um, doing all those things that we do to try to have a baby, and it just wasn't happening. And I remember going to church a Sunday, and as I took communion, I just made, I just had it out with God, and I just said, I surrender. I surrender to whatever your plan is for our life. And so, <coughs> sorry, your water. <coughs> Dry throat, and then it got stuck. Okay, <coughs> we're gonna get through this. <coughs> I'm a COVID warning on this one. I'm fine. I just got it. Okay. Don't say that. <laughs> <coughs> okay. So start, sorry. Should I start with trying to conceive? Yes. Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. I think another time where I really felt the peace of God was we were trying to conceive our first child. And, of course, we had gone Mm -hmm. through all the gadgets, the temperature taking and all of this tracking. And it just wasn't happening under my control. So I went to church. And I, as I took communion, I really, really relinquished it to God. And I said, you know, maybe we're meant to adopt. I I just have peace with this. I I, I can't bear this burden and this anxiety anymore. And 
again, I was washed over with his peace that God's got this. Just let it go. And I really walked out of there genuinely saying, if I'm not meant to have a child, I'm not meant to have a child. And I'm going to be okay with that. God's got me. You surrendered. I did surrender, Mm -hmm. truly surrender. And when you do that, when you surrender to God's will, you experience peace. Mm -hmm. And guess what? I didn't know, but I was pregnant at the time, of course. (laughs) Uh, Another time, depression. I I suffered a major depression in my early 40s, and I know that that really was a time where God and I once again kind of had it out. And I needed to learn in that depression that God loved me, not for what I did, for Him. Not for just trying to obey, but God just loved me flat on my back, helpless before him. And that, to me, gave me a peace that still is with me today because I can't be—I don't feel loved if it's Mm performance-based. But he really showed me that he loves me. And in that love, that secure love of his— devoid of my my, uh, serving him, he loves me, flat on my back. And then recently, of course, with all the COVID and the fears that are going around, I feel a new surge of a little bit of fear with this latest surge that we're having. And I, and yet, I'm okay. I really am okay. If I go home to be with the Lord, I'm really okay. I do have one. I'm one of those people kind of high risk because of blood clotting. Um, but I'm really okay. I feel like I'm in the Lord's hands and I can have peace. The lastly is peace with aging. You look amazing. Don't worry about that. Well, (laughs) this is why I'm on a podcast. No. um, (laughs) Well, we filmed the first one. Perfect face for radio. Um, Anyway, I just, you know, you have to kind of accept some of this stuff. You know, knees are aching a little bit. Look down at my hands. I see some freckles. I think they're age spots. I'm calling them freckles. I want them out of here. But... uh, I just have to come to peace with this, that that God is just getting me ready to go home with him, and I'll have mm-hmm. that brand new body. So I can even have peace as I watch my body kind of one little sore spot at a time change with aging. <laughs> so anyway, every day I have to experience God's peace. I have yes. to have peace to do whatever I'm called to do, whether it's minister to my husband, my family. God's peace gives me that energy and that strength and that security I need to function my, in my life. I, I love that. And thank you for being so transparent in how he has shown you peace throughout his life. And I, I think it's really important for everybody out there to hear, like, he loves us even when we're flat on our back. Yes. And especially when we feel valued and loved when we do works. And that's not what it's about. It's an outpouring of what you said, of of his love for us. And that's why we are obedient to him. But it, even so, if we are flat on our back doing nothing, he loves us just the same. Yeah, yeah. Just like a child, you know, if your child was sick, would you would you abandon the child on the bed? No, yes, of course not. You're yes. even more attentive. Exactly. So the more we're hurt, the more we're struggling. I think Christ is right there with us, even more so. Yes, that's a beautiful picture as well. Well, Bev, thank you so much for being here in this busy Christmas week. We love you, and we are just so blessed by you. And um, 
I'm just excited to see what our listeners uh, get from all of this. I know they will be blessed by the coming Prince of Peace. And my prayer for each one of you listeners is that you believe in the Prince of Peace and receive him this Christmas, and that all of you are anchored in the Prince of Peace and have a new revelation of how much you are truly loved by the King. So, I'm here with Nick Gibson, and we're doing a little 30-minute segment for Christmas, part of the the Christmas special podcast, where we're going to just be talking about Jesus, um, Jesus as like the warrior and king and the expected king and um, kind of, you know, the Advent season is, is here, we're coming around Christmas, and people are... I mean, getting into the mindset of like Jesus, you know, coming to earth and like, what does this savior look like? And, and who is this savior that's coming to earth? Um, and I think a couple, well, I'll just start with this one. In second Samuel seven, God promises David that a king will rise up from his family line and lead Israel. Who is this futuristic king? I mean, the answer is kind of obvious, but, but you can go, go on from that. Yeah, so there's two there's two sort of key promises. Well, you could argue there's more than that, but like there's two main key like promises relative to Jesus about that sort mm-hmm. of thing. One is that the book of Deuteronomy explicitly says there would be a second Moses. Right? Not just another prophet, but there would be like a second mo- like mm-hmm. one who talks to God face to face, does the kinds of miracles Moses did. And also Moses was the one who brought in the covenant, like the whole relationship with God, how it all was going to work and how human beings could be saved basically and find the promised mm-hmm. land and all of that. Right. And that, and then Moses is like, look, there's going to be a second Moses. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's, there's, there's Jesus is the great second Moses prophet. Right. But then David is the great King of Israel. And so there's this, like, um, there's this promise in second, first Samuel where God says, um, I'm going to put, my i will put one of your heirs on the throne forever yeah right and on the face of it it looks a little bit like what god is saying is that the line of kings would never fail like solomon's line of kings would (laughs) never fail and that's not the case right um but but the jews didn't give up on it they didn't think that because the line of kings failed that was it like the, mm-hmm. the the minute that there wasn't a Davidic king, they were like, no, no, they're still there. Like they understood that this was this was like the Messiah final king. This wasn't just a normal king that was being spoken mm-hmm. of. So, for example, in um in Luke one, when um Jesus is being spoken of, right? Um, the angel says to Mary that the child she's going to bear, he will be called, he'll be great, be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Right. So in Jesus' earthly lineage, he's in the line of David. That's why he's born in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Right. But he's also the son of the most high. And that's the dual nature of Christ. Right. The son mm-hmm. of God and the Davidic king. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then when um, it just a few verses later, when uh, Zechariah is prophesying about his son, um, John, who has just been born, he's, he's, he says, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation. A horn symbolizes strength in the Bible. A horn of salvation for the house of his servant David. 
that he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to his father Abraham to rescue us from the land of our enemy, hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. I think that's that statement by, I've been studying that one recently, that statement by Zechariah I think is the clearest understanding of how a right thinking Jewish person in the first century understood the Messiah. Mm-hmm. that he was in the line of David. David was God's holy servant and that he would be a conqueror. That is, he would deliver the people of God from their enemies mm-hmm. so that they would be able to serve God all their days without fear and holiness and righteousness. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the, that's the, the, the vision. That's the, mm-hmm. that's what they were all hoping for. And it was all so, connected to the covenant that went all, went all the way back to Abraham. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think like now, now we look back and we like we know obviously what who Jesus is, so we don't we're not like trying to figure figure that out the way that they were, but we we know knowing what we know about Jesus now, how different like was Jesus compared to what the uh, Jewish people expected him to be? So, so you kind of just read read that, and it sounded like he was going to come and become like Alexander the Great or something, and just conquer the whole world and take everything over. Yeah. That's obviously not what he did. So. What, yeah, what I, yeah. I mean, in defense of the Jewish, the Jewish leaders, and so on. I mean, because one of the things um, that the Bible teaches, Jordan Peterson has kind of made this more famous in recent years mm-hmm. because of his reading of Solzhenitsyn and others. But this is a biblical. This, look, this is, goes back thousands of years, not twenty minutes to Jordan Peterson, um, <laughs> which is like you should assume you're the bad guy in the story. I mean, I was saying that for years. Yeah. Before that was before he made that famous. So like, if you think <laughs> about like slaveholders in the South. And like in like 1860 in America, don't think you're the abolitionist guy. The likelihood you are the abolitionist is not great. You know what I mean? And so similarly, when you look at the story, like the first century, don't be like, oh, you know, I'm like the disciples, but I'm not even yeah. as dumb as Peter. I would have got it. No, you wouldn't. It, that's very <laughs> unlikely. Okay. You should probably identify with everybody else. So, so I think what's important to recognize is that the Bible speaks about I think people assume that what the Bible should do is speak about Christ's first coming and what it would be like. And then after that, to speak about his second coming and what that would be like. And that is not what the Bible does at all. Mm-hmm. The Bible speaks about the final day of the Lord hmm. right alongside everything else. Yeah. And you could argue it talks about it more. And in one sense, it it is more important. Right? Like if Jesus just came and died on the cross and that was it, that wouldn't be the dream. Yeah. The dream is someday we will be liberated from all of our enemies, internal and external, and we will live before God without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days. Yeah. Right? Like that's the that's the goal. I mean, that's the beautiful goal. What we didn't understand was how God was going to bring that about, and what people don't understand is how unjust they are. Mm-hmm. And so, like if you go back to the Exodus, God is always trying to save the perpetrator, not just the victim. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is, is that human beings are always both perpetrators and victims. If God comes and saves mm-hmm. all the victims and kills all the perpetrators, there's no victims left alive for him to save because everybody <laughs> yeah. died as a perpetrator, yeah. right? And that doesn't mean that all the perpetration of all exploitation and oppression, what we call sin, um, is all um, like morally equivalent. It's not. Like there's, there's broad non-equivalence between sin and the sinful lives people live. But as perpetrators and as deserving of judgment, we are all the same. Mm-hmm. In, in that sense, we're morally equivalent. So what God has to do if he wants to save anyone is he has to first intervene and save some of the perpetrator victims through repentance and forgiveness. Yeah. 
so that they're justified. And so their standing is just as those he will redeem and save, not those he will kill and judge. And that's happened first before the killing and judging of the enemies, right? Otherwise, there's nobody left. There's nobody to save. So even, for example, in Egypt, where you, you would think that Egyptians were the most passive slaves, like the Egyptians just enslaved them. They didn't do anything wrong, right? When God does the Passover, he introduces the concept of atonement again. Before he gives the Torah, he's like, you're going to have to sacrifice a lamb, put its blood on your door. And then when my destroying angel comes to destroy everybody, it will pass over you and it will destroy them. And, it, and the destroying angel isn't going to pass over Jews and kill Egyptians. It's not racial. Hmm. He, anybody who puts the blood on their door survives and anybody who doesn't dies. If you're a Jew and you don't do it, you die. If you're an Egyptian and you do do it, you live, right? It just turns out that if you're in the oppressor class of a nation, you're less likely to listen. Right. So it was mostly Egyptians that died and Jews that survived. But but it, it was it was anybody who, who gives themselves to the forgiving offer of God based on the parameters that God sets up, not you, but him. Mm-hmm. He then saves you out of the perpetrating class, out of the one that must be judged. He justifies you, and then he does this mighty work of salvation. Mm-hmm. So when, so when um, John the Baptist came, right, um, Zechariah knew that. So when he prophesied about Jesus, when he gets to prophesy about his son, John, he says in verse 76, this is still Luke 1, he says, mm-hmm. And you, my son, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And then this is the preparation. To give his people a knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Hmm. So what John knew was the Jewish Messiah was coming and they weren't ready for him. Yeah. There's no hope for them. So unless God sent an Elijah to use the Old Testament, like the Old Testament says that there was a prophet that would come before the Messiah, a second Elijah, who would call the people back from their idolatry to repentance. And that's what John did. And so he did that before Jesus came in baptizing people in what was called the baptism of repentance, right? And the whole idea there is that um, people have to repent and be forgiven, that is, have a knowledge of salvation, before they're able to to glory in the coming of the king. Hmm. You want to repeat that last like minute? I think you kind of yeah. cut out there. Yeah. Yeah. So like the reason why John sees, so so God put, put it in the, the prophecy of the Messiah that somebody would come before the Lord and yeah. prepare the way for him. And right. John understood that to be repentance, that like right. you have to be forgiven before, like if, if, the, if the king is coming to kill all the traitors mm-hmm. and everyone's a traitor, that's not good news. Yeah. But if someone right. comes before the king and offers forgiveness and says, listen, anybody who re-pledges to the king, like repents of what you've done, pledges your, their loyalty and fealty and recognizes that the king has always been good. It, you lied about him to rebel. Like rebellion yeah. was never right. And, and like you have, a, you have a chance to get right with the king before he returns. Mm-hmm. Now the return of the king is good because when you rebelled, you rebelled with all these scumbags who have completely mm-hmm. destroyed your society and ruined your life. And they were the, just the opposite of what they said they were. And God was the opposite of what they said he was. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh my gosh, I can, I can be belong to the righteous king's kingdom again. Right. He's like pardoning those who will come. And mm-hmm. so you rush and you receive that pardon. Right. That's what yeah. Christians call believing in Jesus or being saved or experiencing mm-hmm. the new birth or whatever. Right. Believing in Jesus, the, his offer right. of forgiveness. And then then the king's coming is good news. So um, what the Jewish people at that time did not understand was that the period of grace wasn't going to be the three years of Jesus ministry. And then he would take yeah. over. The period of grace has actually been the entire time from his from his, the beginning of his ministry mm-hmm. until he returns as a second returning king in the second advent. Right. Mm hmm. 
right? Because that, that pardon wasn't just to go out to all the Jewish people. That message of pardon had to go out to all of the human race, every yeah. people everywhere. And it was similar to the to the the spirit of death over the um, e- in e- in Egypt when they were putting the blood of the lamb over the door. I mean, like uh, John the Baptist was giving a similar message of like Christ being the blood that will cover you from the spirit of death that that is coming or something like. I mean, like yeah, you I can mean, draw I, parallels I there. John, sort of I don't know that if John knew all of it or how much he explicitly said. I mean, he calls yeah. Jesus the Lamb of God. So he yeah. knew something about his sacrificial future, right? And he was a prophet. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, I don't think John necessarily had the whole crucifixion, everything worked out. Because if he did, he when he was in prison, he wouldn't ask Jesus if he was the one to come or if they should expect somebody else. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense in which, which um, John was looking at a statue in the darkness and could yeah. make out its form, but not its full right. detail. And he knew Jesus was somehow the sacrifice. He was somehow the lamb of God. He wasn't just the lion of God. He was the lamb of God. He wasn't just the, mm-hmm. the scepter of the king. He was somehow the sacrificial priest. Mm-hmm. I don't think he, I don't know how much more he knew than that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, I'll move into the, into the next question is I, I remember maybe it was last year, a couple years ago, you did your, was it an Advent um, yeah. series on Jesus Christ, the incarnate warrior? And I remember thinking this is, this is like weird, but it's also way better than the, cause Christmas time comes around a lot of times and it's like, I've been going to church my whole life and I know all the recycled sermons. I know what's going to, they're going to say. So it was interesting to hear you talk about like Jesus as this like warrior who's come to like destroy, like, like basically fighting this war against sin. And it was way more intense than most. I remember, I think I was there on like Christmas night or Christmas day or whatever, you know, the Christmas Eve service, I think. And I think you like right away, you were like, yeah, this isn't like natural that we're going to be talking about the, about Jesus as the warrior. And uh, I just remember thinking about like, that would have just been so weird if I had not gone to church for like five years and I decided to come for the first time, which is probably great. Um, But I was, I wanted to ask, um, why did the Jewish people expect Jesus to be a warrior? And was Jesus a warrior? Like, yeah, I guess go ahead. Yeah. So, um, let me go back a little bit here to how you asked that question. Cause like I'm 44 and I started mm-hmm. preaching Easter at like 26. So yeah. I've done a bunch of Easter's and Christmases, you know what I mean? And yeah. So it gets boring for, for us after a while. I mean, when you have ADD <laughs> and you're relatively intelligent and you don't really want to bore people, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to just go back to that to like, well, we're just going to do the Magnificat of Mary again. You know, yeah. it's like, there's only two infancy narratives in the Bible. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the reason why we did that series was because I was preaching through the book of Ephesians and in Ephesians yeah. chapter six, that there's a section called the armor of God. And I was actually, that's where I was going to be when Christmas was going to hit. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want to just preach Ephesians six and not talk about Jesus coming. Right. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> that's why I did that series. I folded those two together because there's yeah. a prophecy in Isaiah that where God looks over his people and he sees um, it's scripture says that he sees that nobody, that nobody, like nobody is there to do what's right. Yeah. So, um, looking for it here. Just so, yes. Yeah, so he says our offense is, so this is in the book of Isaiah. So this is like when the Jews are going into exile and they're hearing promises about yeah. coming King. Our offenses are ever with us. We acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on God, fomenting oppression and revolt, uttering lies in our hearts that we have conceived. And then it says, so justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. 
Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased when there was no justice. He saw that there was no one, and he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. And so his own arm worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as like a cloak. And it goes on and at the end. It says, my spirit, he says, and my words will will depart from my mouth. Right. And so like when you look at that and then you look I, at the, the yeah. armor in Ephesians 6. Yeah. It's very similar. It's similar, but you you made some like distinctions that Jesus, Jesus being like our commander would wear right. some different types of um, armor and and right. that's what Isaiah was talking about, right? Right, right. So the the armor that God puts on, right, for his for his work, right, which I think applies well to Jesus, um, it has a couple. Like for example, there isn't a cloak in Ephesians six, right? right. And the the full like every every um, army at and most times in history until you have firearms has something called like that's referred to in Greek as a panoply. That is a full suit of armor. Like if you're wearing all the stuff, what's all the stuff? And in different armies, that was different. Some went for like super light infantry, so they didn't want a lot of heavy armor. Others tried to armor people better, so they had fewer casualties, right? Um, and so the panoply that um, that Paul talks about is a normal Greco-Roman one for one of the kinds of units of soldiers, right? That's like a real standard one. But what it yeah. means is, is that in Christ, we are supposed to armor ourselves similar to Jesus, not as a commanding officer, but that there should never be no one found in the streets that cares about justice. Like every yeah. every Christian should care about that. Every like it says where it says there was no one to intervene. Right, Jesus is the great intervening warrior, mm-hmm. but we are his children. We are the less great intervening warriors, mm-hmm. right? But Paul makes really clear because that that makes some modern people nervous. Like, oh, so Christians are supposed to kill people? Is that what you're saying? And like Paul explicitly says in Ephesians six, our fight is not against flesh and blood, yeah. that is humans, but against the principalities in darkness and the powers of this dark world that is that there are demonic forces that are actual intelligences and beings that we are fighting against and how we act and also like the dark forces meaning that like um just there's there is evil in the world it's it's playing itself out it's not person it's not really personal and in some ways you have to separate the personal nature of it from its existence in its temptation otherwise you will just kill everybody you can't love your enemies and hate evil but a christian has to love their enemies and hate evil so I like I get that like love the sinner hate the sin is a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's an aphorism and it's an aphorism because it's true. Mm-hmm. So like there's a certain way you got to be like okay maybe people misuse that statement so they really can hate gay people and pretend they don't yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. But like it's actually true. Like the only way you can love people in this world and also hate sin like you should is if you actually can find some way to actually love the human being who's made in the image of God and yet hate the evil that is controlling them and that they're giving into. I think that's kind of what we, we talked about. Well, in one of our previous podcasts about the, like us being made in the image of God and also like inherently we are sinners who deserve to go to hell, which is a confusing concept because, because like you said, it's like, if I look at you and I'm like, yeah, your Nick is a sinner. It's very easy for me to to justify hating you, you and your sin, like all of it together. Um, but I think for for us, like lo- I mean, looking at non-believers as made in the image of God is is probably is it seems like essential. It's essential for me because I'm probably more prone to just hating everybody no matter what. But 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. There's a lot I can say about that, but I know you're trying to keep, keep this episode to a reasonable amount. But anyway, so to get focus on Jesus as the incarnate warrior, um, yeah. the, one of the reasons why Jesus doesn't look like a warrior in the gospels is because mm-hmm. he's doing exactly what Paul teaches us later. Jesus yeah. isn't focusing his war upon the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Romans, right? He's focusing his war on the principalities of, and powers of darkness in this world. That is mm-hmm. demonic forces, evil, I, okay, this is going to be unpopular, but I would say to a certain extent, systemic injustices, hmm. right? Like there was a certain amount of like, there are all kinds of like incumbencies and stuff like that. Like there was clearly, there's definitely Roman supremacy to use a modern phrase in Israel at the time because of the occupation and the belief that the Jews were good for nothing, rebellious people. But there was also like all kinds of like, a, like economic injustices. There was corruption in the temple. There were all kinds of things that were like, just like, wicked but they were held in place by immoral systems and those immoral systems had false um legitimacies right so like the sadducees could have all these animals in the in the area of sacrifice which was completely wrong jesus clearly teaches right Mm -hmm. and they can do that for what reason well because they're the sadducees they have control because god is for them because they're the sadducees but it's really the romans that were propping them up so that the sadducees would keep the people from rebelling it was totally corrupt Right. Mm -hmm. And it was legitimized by a system of corruption Mm -hmm. that hurt the people that had to use the system. Right. Mm -hmm. So all of that is part of this like evil that Jesus was going against. And yet Jesus was able to separate the person from that. Even when he was attacking a person, it was clear what he was attacking in that person. And that person Mm -hmm. could let go of it if they wanted to. So when he, even in right. even in Matthew twenty three, which is one of his worst attacks on the Pharisees, is like you're whitewashed tombs, you're a brood of vipers. Every time you make a disciple, you make them twice the son of hell you are, twice as damned as you are. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like that's his worst tirade. But Jesus is very clear about what every Pharisee would have to do to escape that, mm-hmm. right? Like, all you do is repent. Like, yeah, you're mm-hmm. terrible and you're part of the corruption. But just like an Egyptian, you can still kill the lamb and you can still put the blood on your doorframe. Like, if you right. want to be saved, you can be. And it says a number of places in the New Testament, a few places at least, and a number of Pharisees became obedient to the faith. Like, Jesus did win over a significant yeah. number of Pharisees. Not the majority, but a, but a meaningful portion. And that's what well, he was he doing won over, was so mean to them. I suppose, I mean, this is a different situation, but he did win over Paul. And Paul Paul was a Pharisee. Yeah. So, and that was a, yeah, but he persuasively won over a bunch of them. I mean, I mean like, Paul, yeah, he knocks he off his horse, he makes yeah, him blind, Paul, right? right? Like, like he uses situation. very direct... Power, but yeah, like, right. and, and and I don't mean to detract. Like, you're, what you're saying is correct, but like, and, and the other Pharisee has had the ability to right. see Jesus' miracles, right. right? So it's not a total, but but like Jesus, like specifically spent time persuading the Pharisees negatively. Which like, is, you guys got to give this up, right? And, they, and that, a bunch of them said, "You're right," and did yes, it. Yes, right. I think you that know? the whole persuading thing is interesting because I I was just reading um, like. F- uh, Proverbs one and and it talks about how like basically like wisdom will turn its back on on the fool who doesn't want to know like who isn't knowledgeable basically and then I was listening yeah. yeah who rejects knowledge and and then I was I was listening to a Bible project thing um, and I guess like Paul had some sort of degree in like persuasion and like like he he was like very educated in like persuasion and debate. In a, I, I guess so. And so like using that yeah. mixed with his like theological understanding and his revelation with Christ, like he was able to probably win over a bunch of people. I just think that's a, 
interesting. I, I always thought that that was interesting. Yeah. Like, in our culture, people are like, don't try to win win people over. It's like you have to make a heart change. It's about Jesus changing everybody's heart. Don't try to win them over knowledgeably. And it's like, well, I mean, Jesus yeah. and everybody, I mean, that seems like a way to do it. So. Yeah. yeah, that's a dangerous, dangerous cliche because it's like in large part true, right? So it is true that like a lot of the beliefs we say are intellectual beliefs that we hold are we hold for emotional reasons like for psychological reasons like that's true but nobody likes it when i say to you the only reason you believe that is blank and i give a psychological reason and you're like no i freaking believe that because it's i think it's right and you're like well yeah because your mom treated you this way right Right? it's kind of like um lewis has this c.s lewis has this essay called bulver on bulverism where like the husband says to his wife that the sum of the three angles in any triangle equals 180 degrees. And she says, you only believe that because you're a man, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, like there's, there's always the ability to say, to like explain away why somebody believes something psychologically. Right. So like you see this with atheists and theists, right? The atheist says, well, the only reason you believe in God is because you have, it's a wish fulfillment about, about death. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the, the theist goes, yeah. And the only reason you're an atheism an atheist is because you have this compulsion to be ideal. Like, free like an idol and have yes. nobody tell you what to do so that you can be god like right. there's a psychology to, to religion there's a psychology to irreligion right right neither one makes either one true or false mm-hmm. right and so yeah do i want to live forever yes <laughs> would i also like to be totally and utterly free and have nobody tell me what to do there yes mm-hmm. and i've come to believe that part of me that wants to be totally free and be my own god is idolatry and that it's wrong and wicked sure and I believe and, that God exists and there really is an afterlife. And so I allow myself to to believe in my desire for the wish fulfillment of everlasting life. And I reject the internal propensity inside of me right. that seeks to be my own God. Right? Right. And that's not actually like – and that actually like requires you to flip your perspective or not even for perspective. Right. It, it, it requires you to flip your actual definition of what freedom is. Like – like like uh, personal freedom that the atheist would speak about in like not being held down to any sort of belief system or religion would would be what Jesus would consider actual slavery. Like you because you're just a slave to your own desires or passions. And so right. And to bring that back to the question of psychology and persuasion, right, is yeah. that rational no ideas. Like every atheist I've ever talked to goes, yeah, yeah, whatever. There might be a psychology to atheism, but I believe it for these for reasons. And, yeah. I, and then I say, okay, and so do I, right? I believe in theism. I believe in Christianity for rational for reasons. reasons. Yeah. And so even though like your psychology plays a big, big part in what you believe, yeah, most people have experienced somebody telling them reasons for something and them realizing that they were wrong. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, I don't want to fight reality. I want to believe what it, I do want to believe it's true. And mm-hmm. they changed their mind. And sometimes yeah. that changing of their mind had enormous consequences, right? But they still did it. So, um, yeah. And so when people say that that Paul like had essentially a doctorate in theology or whatever, um, what they're doing is they're taking the standard training uh, rabbis who were Pharisees received, and they're just assuming that Paul received all of that. Mm-hmm. And then Gamaliel, who he studied under, was was very very was like a top professor. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like studying like the, somewhere between the MDiv and PhD level from the one of the from the best professor in the world is yeah. like essentially what bought yeah yeah but but rabbinical training had less rhetoric in it than greek training hmm. so so sometimes people say yeah well he'll he'd be like one of the, like a great rhetorician well yes but the kind of rhetoric 
Jews engaged in in the rabbinical schools was not the same the Greco-Romans did. Sure. So, yeah, I'm sure he learned a lot about that as he traveled, but I don't yeah. think he was trained in it in the same way. So let, let me move to the last question that I have written down here. Um, yeah. I think just get back to the, the whole, you know, Christmas coming up. Um, how should we look at the coming um, and birth of Christ uh, this Christmas? And how can we have the same anticipation as the Jewish people had before Christ? How can we, how can we kind of, I don't, I don't want to say like simulate the anticipation, but sometimes it does feel like I've only been alive for 22 years and Christmas has already gotten started to get really boring to me um, because it seems like the same cycle year after year and the same, same songs and all that crap. Um, in what ways can Christians kind of like get rejuvenated and and start maybe even like looking towards the second coming of Christ um, in, in some ways as well? What do you think about that? Yeah, so I think that thinking about Christmas in light of the first advent and relative to the second one, right, that mm-hmm. Jesus came and he is coming. And we are we do look forward to it similarly to the Jews of the first century and that we know it's coming, we believe it's coming, we don't know really what it's going to look like. Right. Exactly. And in that sense we're in very similar shoes. What that means is you can go back to scripture and you can believe everything that's revealed in Christ, but also still identified with the identify with those who were around at the time of Christ who didn't really know what to expect. Mm-hmm. So you actually can identify personally with more of scripture, which is which is right. great. The second thing too is, is I would I would say is you really have to get over the internal embarrassment and um, h- how we emotionally hold back in receiving repetitive stuff that we think is somehow cheesy. Yeah. So like, sing all the carols with as much gusto as you can, thinking about the words and what they mean. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's almost there's to get to mastery and meaning. Oftentimes you have to go through boredom. Mm-hmm. Like how do people who've been married 50 years look at their marriage with more depth than people that have been married for three? Mm-hmm. Right? Like well, the people who've been married three, hopefully are still racked with all the passions of desire, right? right. That maybe the 80 year olds aren't, but <laughs> why do they, why do the 80 year olds just kind of sit there with a smile on their face that, you know, they know some smug, strange thing about love that you don't. And it's like, mm-hmm. they've passed through boredom into mastery. Like they, they were married for a long time. They had all these problems. They worked through things. They love, they've been all through these stages. They've been through the stepping stones of, you know, of pro- different problems. And there's like a rest that comes from working through all the rituals of life. Mm-hmm. And like going through the rituals, like going to church, singing the carols, like putting the presents to one side, but having Christmas rituals that aren't materialistic, like a certain kind of, there's a meal you cook every year. There are certain kinds of decorations that you put up every year. There's certain, there's certain like light with its lighting advent candles or with like whatever it is. Like in our house, like we actually build fires, like in our fireplace, like having fires in the fireplace is part of the Christmas season at our house mm. because you can smell it and you can literally feel the heat going into your bones. And um, there's certain things we want, like we watch It's a Wonderful Life every Christmas season. Yeah, that's the best Which, movie. I love that. Yeah, and it's like, it's kind of a religious movie. And like in some ways, like it's a Hollywood movie, blah, blah, blah. But it, it's yeah. a religious movie and it's in it. It has all these themes of family, love, devotion, being there for people. Right. Your life of service is not in vain. Like it has Sacrifice. a lot of incredibly important yeah. themes, and it glorifies a normal life. Like a normal mm. life that treats other people well is better than an exotic life where you do whatever you want or you get rich, right? right. And that reality is necessary at Christmas. 
and and and, and like re like reinterpreting what your life means. And in that sense, it's that the movie "It's a Wonderful Life" is more religious than it seems because it has an angel in it. Like it has deeper human religious themes than that that Hollywood is still capable of creating in those days. So, um, so anyway, so we have these we have these um, these rituals, and I think they're really important. And and like you have to get past. You're like, oh, it's a stupid ritual. So I mean, you might even have to make fun of it, but like. Um, my wife makes gingerbread ha- gingerbread houses with the kids most years, and it's now it's like it's not just about making the gingerbread house this year. It's about all the years we've made the gingerbread houses together and the different ages that we were and all of that. Hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that in some ways, to make Christmas more exciting, you have to make it more boring, <laughs> and then you have to embrace the, that repetition in its embedded meaning. And then you have to like, kind of like celebrate the thing itself and the natural, normal, mundane repetition of it. And then realize that that is how God works. He perfects nature with grace. Like God, like, like God, most of what God does in the world is he, he infuses into the workings of his own creation with his own spirit. It's not like, mm-hmm. it's not like, like atheism created creation. And then God's like standing on the side and be like, well, maybe I'll put some of my spirit in creation. No creation mm-hmm. belongs to Jesus. Jesus right. created creation. So like my physical body, everything physical about me is from Jesus. Right. Yeah. And then he infuses and works his spirit to perfect my nature. And that's from Jesus. They're both mm-hmm. from Jesus and they work together perfectly because of Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, like uh, everything, I, like how I eat, what rituals I do, what celebrations I make, what symbols I utilize is, is God can work through those if they are used to serve him. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. I think yeah. even like materialistic things like gift giving, if done in a certain way and received with thankfulness and done in worship and care can be a positive thing i just think what happens is, is that the marketing to get people to buy the crap yeah overwhelms christmas and then some people go you know they go into debt for christmas <laughs> i mean I spend more than they should you're like what are you doing yeah. here yeah yeah i think yeah I mean, but you build the expectations in your rituals so if you build yeah. expectations like we're not going to spend piles of money we're gonna buy thoughtful gifts but not expensive gifts right then that works but if you if you build the thing that like christmas is when you get everything I actually don't think that's great because I think as a parent, I want to no. give my children good gifts all year. I don't want to spend eight out of $10 I can use to give my children good gifts on Christmas. Right. I don't, I don't, I want, I want to surprise them. I want to buy something for my daughter in February and give it to her and yeah. say, I was thinking about you. You know what I mean? So right. I just don't so that I think this is not such a huge anticipation for the gift. It's going to be more of an anticipation for what actually Christmas is. Right. What we're supposed to be thinking about in Christ and, and him coming. Yeah. Down. I mean, if you spend a grand per kid on gifts <laughs> and then you're trying to get them to pay attention to the advent wreath while you're having Christmas morning breakfast before mm-hmm. opening presents, you can forget about it. Yeah. Not happening. You know what I mean? Their I mean, anticipation, my parents too didn't high. spend a grand and still, I'm mean, not even close, <laughs> and we were still not paying attention to that. So, oh yes, yeah. So, yeah. Like in our house, um, if you mention opening gifts, I'm gonna dad's gonna put it off another hour. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like you don't. That's the worst. No. So no. So but but my kids do get to open their stockings. So like our ritual is oh, yeah. then uh, on Christmas Eve, I read a treasure hunt, and so in our house. So I'll, I'll. It's usually a list of five or six clues. And then there's yeah. some bonus clues along the way where you could get some other things. So mm-hmm. like it's like one clue sends you to some place in the house where there's a clue, and that sends you to another place in the house where there's a clue, yeah. and that sends you to another right. place in the house where there's a clue. National treasure about style five Christmas. Yeah, I used to do one for each kid individually. Oh, wow. and their stockings were all in different places. 
Mm-hmm. And that meant that my wife could lay in bed until about nine on Christmas mm-hmm. morning. I would just leave the first clue on the nook table for each kid. And then as one found their, their stocking, then they'd help the others find their stockings. Yeah. And I mean, it took forever. Um, <laughs> Cause I, I left kind of clever clues, you know? Yeah. I can um, imagine your kids being like five or six and you writing like <laughs> super I difficult know. clues. <laughs> I, it was, I, I'd have Lexi read them. Cause I was like, is this age appropriate? And she's like, ah, uh, <laughs> I mean, Rachel might get that one, but Helena or Jude's not going to, you know? Yeah. Anyway, I've gotten better over the years. Well, and they've also gotten better too. They've gotten older and they, and their yeah. critical thinking skills have gotten better. So anyway, um, but the point is, is that like I have that ritual and then Lexi makes monkey bread and some, then we make some bacon usually. Right. And then like we read the nativity story right and then we open some presents and you know we have this kind of like ritual we work through and um i think that makes it better rather than worse it makes it makes it more because here's the thing like the thing about excitement is you can't keep increasing it Mm -hmm. right i mean this is the this is the standard problem of every married couple in intimacy right like if if the joy you get from having marital intimacy is that you can like somehow amp up the excitement each time. Like there's, there's only so much you can do. Right. You know, if you don't just enjoy each other and enjoy the ritual, right. you're kind of screwed, you know? Yeah. And like all of life is like that. I mean, going on dates with your spouse after you're married, mm-hmm. like how do you keep making it better? You, like you, mm-hmm. you like there's, there's something about the ritual itself you have to enjoy. And most people do that with like their shower. Like when they take a shower, most people like getting in the shower they like the experience of the hot water and they have the thing yeah. they do the same every time and they like they like it every time they don't go i'm so freaking bored with my shower no they like yeah. it every time same thing with their coffee drinking their coffee getting their coffee reading the paper whatever they do with their coffee yeah. probably look at their phone and scroll through instagram they love that ritual you know yeah um so you've got to like realize what's beautiful about rituals and you got to stick you yeah. got to create good ones does that make sense good. and yeah. one of those i think should be church attendance i think church attendance is one of the most important rituals for any christian mm-hmm. um and then prayer as part of a quiet time, mm-hmm. you know, and then right. Christian, these, the old Christians call it Christian intercourse, but it, what it meant was like discourse, <laughs> like, like, like intercourse was like discussing on a deep level yeah, where you're really sharing of yourself. Yeah. That doesn't fly today with modern young people. No. Yeah. One of the things Christian I love, intercourse. I love about, so what, what, there's, let me give you just another quick. So, um, St. Augustine, yeah. used to call fornication. Like when you couldn't stop yourself from having sex with somebody you weren't married to. Yeah. He called that incontinence. Incontinence. Yeah, because continence is the capacity to stop yourself from doing something you don't want to do or should do. Yeah. It's the ability to restrain. So incontinence is the inability to restrain yourself. Of course, we only use that word in relationship to like peeing on yourself because you can't keep yourself. Oh, like going to the bathroom on yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Incontinence is like when you like can't hold in your pee, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And you have to wear like a diaper. But like um, Augustine and other church fathers who were Latin, they called uh, fornication incontinence. Because the assumption so is, is like are, you wouldn't, you're not doing it. You, like you wish you could stop yourself. You just can't control yourself. Yeah. People are reading right. Augustine and they're like, oh, okay. That's an interesting parallel that he draws. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I think I could see it. Yeah. Yeah. So use rituals. Yeah, yeah. Use rituals to sure. keep Christmas exciting. Don't run away from them. Yeah. Or you'll find sure. it much less interesting, more boring and Mm-hmm. shallower and then you won't sure. do anything for christmas right great well well that was 38 minutes we we stayed within the 30 minutes like the 30 
ish. time zone, thirty ish time zone. Um. Anyways, yeah, it, it, I guess it that's wasn't one hundred and seventy minutes. You know. No, but that one's the the one about uh, what does it mean to be a man? I mean, people are really enjoying it, and it's two hours and twenty five minutes. So yeah, well, I would love to do a follow up to that where I actually got to do some prep. But um, but yeah, I thought we'd discuss some important things. Yeah, we can do another one. But okay, anyways, thank There's you. There's a for supply doing and demand problem for what it means to be a man because it's either boorish, stupid, hyper masculine nonsense, or it's like like it has no meaningful content it's like well right. it doesn't mean much you know yeah right <laughs> yeah well yeah so well we can do another one on that too but um all right well thanks for doing this and um i guess yeah, we'll we see will see you guys in the next one bye hey guys this is the schmidt show Yes, the first annual Schmidt Show section of the Optive Theology Podcast and Love by the King Collaboration Christmas Special. So this is great. We got um, my dad, Ty Schmidt, and my mom, Carrie Schmidt, here with me and Reagan. And we're going to be talking about family reconciliation and how Christ has made it possible for families to not be so dysfunctional. Our family is still extremely dysfunctional. It took us about an hour to get to the point where we are actually recording this podcast, we 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 got on to Zencaster. That didn't work because Reagan's got like conspiracy theory blockers on her laptop. <laughs> no, <laughs> then, I have a dinosaur laptop. Oh she does, and then and then my my parent and then my my dad couldn't figure out how to use um, microphones and things like that, and so um, we, we we had it took us a long time. But anyways, we're here. And we, we got through it. So I'm just going to jump right into it. Basically, we're going to just ask some, some questions and see where these things go. So this first one, I'll, I'll, I'll first ask this to, to you, Dad. But how is Jesus' coming to earth made possible the reconciliation of families? Um, and then anybody else is open up to, to commenting after that. But go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think, I think Jesus, Jesus creates an opportunity through through if people come to know him like when you have uh, a, a family that knows him or, or several people in the family that knows him or even one person who has come to know jesus i think jesus creates opportunities for reconciliation in those families but um <clears throat> it's not always something that happens even in christian families so um i would i guess i would say as far as like how it works um, because we have, because, you know, you come to know Jesus, you put your faith in him and he gives us of his Holy spirit. And when, when we have the same spirit, like mom has the same Holy spirit in her, I have the same Holy spirit in myself. You guys have the same Holy spirit. It creates a tremendous amount of unity as far as um, the Holy spirit kind of guides us in the truth and helps us to understand what God wants out of our lives and also helps it leads us towards the scriptures, which is God's um, kind of marching orders for how we're to live. So we have <clears throat> we have a lot of opportunities for reconciliation, but we have to we at the same time we still have to take those opportunities and apply them. They don't just happen on their own. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, I I agree. Ty. I love how you said opportunity because he does. He gives us the opportunity through him because like, I don't think we can literally do that without his strength, you know, because like holidays being together with family, if you're not with them a lot is difficult 
enough and it's wonderful. But um, I do have to say too, as Christians, I think sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to like go make this time, special time together, like amazing and, you know, have these ideas that everything's going to be wonderful. And, and when we get back into our family of origin situations, a lot of times we go right back into the place in the um, kind of like how we operated as kids easily, even as Christians, unless we've done a lot of work around that or, um, you know, just done a lot of prayer before we do it. So I think there's, a, I think for me anyway, I, ex I make this huge expectation where when I surrender to God and just say, God, I want this to go the way that you want it to go and not the way that I want it to go. And so the Holy Spirit can work in me instead of in my own flesh. It usually goes better because I don't have as many expectations, but I believe that he's going to do something good. Um, and then just the other thing I would say about that right now is like when we understand how much Christ forgave us and took our sins and took the wrath um, for our judgment, then we can forgive others and we can be unoffended by people that we think have wronged us or family members that we think have looked at us sideways or whatever you want to say. And I I'm just thinking of um, Matthew 6, 14, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So as we remember how much he's forgiven us, we can forgive others and just have that be a clean slate, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. But if we emanate that to unbelievers in our family as well, then we're going to emanate his love in that way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, I think like the, uh, like, I think the forgiveness thing is probably the most important thing. Like the, that reconciles the families. I think that, well, I it leads into the next question that I'll ask. It says, uh, it was, in what ways has Jesus reconciled our family? And I'll let my mom start there since she hasn't talked yet. Um, and cause she's had the most beef with everybody in the family. I'm just kidding. That is probably not true. I don't know, but go ahead. I think reconciliation is a twofold. I think, um, a lot of times when you're in a family, first of all, I mean, Christ reconciled with us when he died on the cross, right. And anything that I do on a daily basis still can offend him at any minute. Right. So I think about that a lot. Like if I, if he can forgive me daily, weekly, minute by minute, who am I to not reconcile with somebody else? But I think reconciliation takes a lot of um, strength in a number of ways, because I think one, especially within families, um, we're only given one family. So it's not like we got to choose what family we were placed in. Um, you know, I, I think in some aspects by marriage, yes, you, you chose the other person, but you this is the family that God gave you, right? There, there's nobody else. Um, you do have your church family, but I mean, your biological family is what you're given. And I think you're given one family and you need to do the best to, to put, to make it work, even if you don't want to. And I guess for myself, I can say I've definitely been in a number of situations where I feel like there wasn't reconciliation or I wanted reconciliation with somebody and other people didn't want the reconciliation. And so it just took some time to get over that. But what I have learned is forgiveness is a huge part of that. And forgiveness isn't necessarily like I've had people say, well, why do I want to forgive? Well, because forgiveness isn't necessarily just unleashing the person 
person's behavior to you. It's releasing you to be entrapped by that behavior. And um, it took me a long time to understand what forgiveness really was, is that in order to reconcile with somebody, even if it's somebody that doesn't want to reconcile with you, forgiveness is, is a must. And just like Jesus forgave us. And so if you can learn to forgive other people and be at peace, even walking into the holiday season, knowing that great grandma so-and-so is going to do something that, that, that you don't like, but it's anticipated, you can be okay with that situation if you've forgiven and come to realize that in order to reconcile and be at peace, sometimes just letting things go um, is what you have to do. And forgiveness is not necessarily changing the behavior. It's changing how you react to the behavior. And so I think that's really important to recognize um, and work through because it is a process. Reconciliation is a process of working through the hurt and the pain that you felt, but being able to continue to walk into a situation, even if it isn't resolved at peace. Yeah, I don't disagree. I also think we should talk about what is like you gave kind of a definition of forgiveness, but you said that it's what it's not. It's not. Um, what did you say exactly? That last thing that you just said, it's it's you said, she goes, I don't know. But you said it's not forgiveness is not. Um, what exactly did she say? Do, do any of you like I have it in my head and I it's, it's like blanking like- from me it's not only releasing that person, like forgiving them, but then you're released from like that bitter root. Unforgiveness creates bitterness and it creates harboring resentment towards people. And I understand that there's situations that maybe you need to step back from because they're extremely abusive that you have to set some distance. But in most families, most families, the hurt comes from just somebody being a little insensitive or rude or not, Um, understanding your needs as a person. And I think you have to realize that that happens in every family, the grass and the greener on the other side. Okay. Mm -hmm. So as Christians, and even as unbelievers, if you're a non-believer, I mean, be grateful you have family to go to at the holidays because there's many that would want to be in your shoes. Mm -hmm. And although we don't necessarily, I mean, I can be the first to admit like, the holidays come up and all of a sudden I have anxiety. I'm like, Oh my goodness, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? And I anticipate it all in my mind. And over the years, it's gotten easier to just be like, well, whatever happens, happens, you know, anticipate Mm -hmm. some of the normal stuff to happen, but also let it go. I mean, it's, it doesn't make or break it because think about it. When somebody in your family passes away, I mean, the things you're probably going to laugh about are the things that probably drive you the most crazy right now, right? Oh, remember when so-and-so does this, this, and that, because although I don't feel feel like you need to fully accept it, especially if it's hurtful, but if you need to work through it yourself and forgive, so you're not, um, you're not in chains to that bitterness. You don't want to become that bitter person. Yeah. I think a lot of, I think a lot of families do like, uh, well, I think a lot of people are just kind of like, I'm going to forgive. And like the whole thing about like, like forgive and forget, which is like good. But I think it's, I think their people's and my mindset before has been like, I'll forgive and then just forget about the person and just like 
just be like, I'm done talking to this person. I'm going to like distance myself from them forever. And like, we're just different. And I think that like loving your, you know, I think this all goes into like forgiveness then pushes you towards actual true self-sacrificial love, because especially in relationships and family relationships where it's like, I'm going to do something to annoy somebody every time we hang out and they can choose to just never hang out again, or they can choose in some way to, to, to sacrifice for, like this, you know, sacrifice, Hey, like we're, you know, and just being forgive, like each person forgiving each other and saying, I know that somebody's going to probably piss me off this, this Christmas, but I'm going to forgive them and continue to try to push for, for family unity. Like, I think that that there's a difference between just saying, I'm going to forgive and just leave this and never be involved with this again. And then saying, no, I'm going to forgive. And then also pursue unity within the family. I think that those are two different things. I think, I mean, like, kind of like what you're saying, Andy, piggybacking off of that and what Reagan said um, and what mom said, I mean, you said too, Carrie, is that for, for me, one of the huge things that helped me around the holidays, around family events, because um, just a little background, I mean, when, when Reagan and I were growing up, I mean, for me, I don't know what it was like for you, Reagan, but for me, holidays were, were terrifying. Like I did not like holidays because every holiday there was a, there was a huge explosion. <clears throat> there was alcoholism. Um, and then once I got old enough, then I was the one drinking, but I, did, I felt uncomfortable because every time we go out to a restaurant, there'd be like a dispute between one of our parents and the waiter or the waitress. Um, but at home, there'd be some kind of screaming match that would go on. And when you're, when you're in that situation as a kid, and you have the expectation that that holiday is going to be this great, wonderful time. And then every single time you get smashed and destroyed inside because that keeps happening. I think, I think as I got older and after I became a believer, that was one of the, the, the biggest tools that helped me was what you said, Reagan, to lower my expectations and to be like, okay, we're, I need to make a decision. First of all, am I going to go to this or not? Okay, because I have a choice. Am I going to go to this event? Do I want to subject myself to this event? And secondly, if I go, I need to make sure that my expectations are like realistic, not thinking, oh, this time it's going to be different. This time dad's not going to do this, or this time dad and mom are going to get along, or, or whatever. Um, or you know, there's a hundred other things that could happen. So once I was able to do that and be like, okay, there's probably going to be, there's probably going to be a fight. There's probably going to be a fight. I'm going to feel really weird and uncomfortable. Carrie's probably going to feel really weird and uncomfortable. Andy and Aaron are probably going to be, be like, what's going on mom and dad in Austin. Um, so I recognize that. And do I still want to go to this? I make the decision. Yeah, and you usually do go to it, which people are pro- people, which I, I think is a point that I want to make especially clear, because I think if like like I think if you're in, in an abusive situation, like mom said, you you should probably not go. But I think that in a lot of circumstances, it's like you need to very carefully discern the situation on whether you just don't want to go because you don't want to deal with conflict or you don't want to go because 
because there's an actual abusive situation. And I think like 90% of the time, it's, the reason you don't want to go is because you don't want to deal with conflict. And I think that that's a problem. And I think that that's not fighting for, for reconciliation and unity, which maybe we don't, we don't agree on this, but well, whatever. And it depends on how old your kids are. I mean, it depends on a lot of things. If you have little kids and you're going into a place where it could get crazy, you need to make that decision to protect your kids. Um, but you know, once we're older and adults, yeah, I mean, it's, there's, you know, lots of situations where it's hard to, it would be easier. I'm going to say to just stay home and be with your own family and just make it great for them. Right. And just try to, you know, clean up the wounds from what you knew, right. And, and try to make things better for your own kids, um, and create new traditions. But then at the same time, where's that reconciliation piece, um, that Christ asks us to walk through. And, and part of that for us as believers is the sanctification of it, you know, because if we, and Andy, you said, forgive and forget, like, I don't think we're supposed to forget. I mean, I know you're talking about the person, but I don't even know, you know, if we're going to ever really forget the offense, but what we do realize is that we are sanctified as Christ. And so it doesn't affect us anymore. Like, yeah, just, like, I was saying things- the forgive and forget attitude. Like, I don't like that attitude. The like forgive and forget the person. I don't like that. You should not forget the person I was saying forgive. And I think that we should try our best to forget the sin and look at the person as a new person, as Christ looks at us as a new person person yeah after he forgives us so forgive and forget the sin not the person i think there's one thing that we have to remember is that those of us that are believers um we're called to our actions and so the only person that we can change is ourselves and so i think a lot of times we walk into these family situations thinking well this time i'm going to speak my mind and say what i want to say especially if this person hurts me or does blah, blah 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 and i don't think that in those situations, we can only change how we react. And I can, I can say there were times when Ty and I, we always went to the family outings, but there were times before going it, we were like, okay, if A happens, what are our actions going to be? Okay, we'll, we'll stay through this. We'll stay through this. But if this starts escalating here, it's going to be time for us to leave. And so we had a plan before walking into gatherings a lot of times because of the fact that there were a number of times we walked in and we didn't have a plan and it was so uncomfortable. And so in the moment you're in the thick of the, the mess, you don't know how to react. And for us, we had to come up with a plan. And the funny thing is, I don't think we ever had to execute that plan ever, but going in there gave a little bit of a peace of mind that if it got completely out of control, it was going to be time for us to, to leave. So we always went because I think our goal was always to want to be a part of the family. You, I mean, I, I don't think we understand how important the family un, unit is um, for, for many reasons, but yet on the same token, you can only change your actions. You can't change other people's actions. And so that's something just to keep in mind and understand that, you know, Christ calls us to be more like him, but being more like him doesn't necessarily always mean being a doormat or being walked over. Okay. It means that you do the right thing at the right moment. And sometimes that might be, Hey, 
your behavior is why we're leaving. You know, we want to come back here again, but if you continue mm-hmm. to be this way, we can't be a part of this. Yeah. Real quick. I want to just revert back to the original question because we are talking about how the, like how dysfunctional it can get, but like in, in the original question is in what ways has Jesus reconciled our family specifically? Yes. Because I think, because yes, there's a bunch of dysfunction and I think it's actually essential and important that we're talking about these things because people don't actually talk about this stuff. And I have not, I, I've yet to meet a family who doesn't have insane dysfunction in, in issues, either they're trying to mask it or there's other things going on, but it's like, I, I, this is exactly what I want to talk about because I think that people, you know, there's a lot of issues in families. The holidays are usually the time when they're the most amplified and then you kind of just wait till the next year and then it amplifies again and you go. So Reagan, I mean, you look like you wanted to say something. Well, I just, I'm going to get back to the original question, but I loved what Carrie said because it's like, if it, if you have, it's funny when you walk in with boundaries and have worked on some codependency, right. And like walk in with a plan, how people, or I don't know if it's Holy spirit, like it, people can tell that you are, um, in love having he- you're in a healthy place, you know? And you want to be with people and you love people. But if something would happen, it's like, I love you. And this is why I have to go, you know, Mm -hmm. and but it's funny how things go better when you, um, you know, aren't a doormat. So I think I think it's good to talk about both of those things. But I think how God um, has reconciled our family and brought us closer is for sure he's brought us to him. I mean, first starting with Ty and Ty receiving Christ, um, you know, as a young man. And then, you know, if you want to listen to our testimonies, go to Optive Theology (laughs) and listen to all of our testimonies, Um, (laughs) Ty and Carrie's and mine, but it's. And mine. Well, and Andy's, I mean, because it's fun to get a different um, view of where everyone was at at all different times and how, how God yeah. worked in our lives. But, and then from Ty calling me in college and telling me, you know, I'm basically living in Babylon and I'm going to hell and <laughs> cause I'm not a believer, you know, and it's like, what are you talking about? And, and so I, I would say like, he's brought us through some really hard times and even, um, struggles, you know, as when Ty became, follow Christ. I was like, now what's he doing? This guy's crazy. And I don't want what he's doing, you know, but God slowly, because I had to have to change my life for one thing, but he slowly started wooing me towards himself and speaking. Ty would like send me tracks of Billy Graham and I'd fall asleep driving to work at five in the morning because they were so boring. But the word of God does not return void. And those were like special times in my life where I remember just getting up at five in the morning, going to work in Grand Forks, North Dakota with my coffee and plugging in that, that tape and listening. I listened to the whole Old Testament. I mean, that's pretty crazy when you're 23 years old or whatever. And so all those things led me to Christ. And when I finally received Christ, um, you know, that's when everything really started. And then that's where the forgiveness could even be possible. It's really hard to forgive people in the way that Jesus wants us to without receiving him because we really don't understand 
you know, biblical forgiveness. Um, we can do it in our flesh. It's just different. But um, so I'd say that's definitely where that started. Yeah. So, Jesus. right. All right. So I'll just start in the, the ways that Jesus has reconciled our family. I think like, I mean, it w- it's interesting because the, most of the dysfunction came from my grandparents. So it was like, there was the alcoholism there. And then you guys were the like direct offsprings of that, where both of you struggled with drinking and, and stuff like that. And then, and then obviously then comes me and my brothers and then Henry. And, and so like, we are kind of two, we're, we're a little bit more removed from the original, like the original, I mean, not the, the original, what I would view as like my grandparents in, and the alcoholism that happened there and all the issues that came from that, like I'm a little bit more removed directly from that. And so I haven't had to deal with a lot of that stuff, but I think that there is something to, uh, I don't know if you call it like dry alcohol, like a dry alcoholism or like there was weird things like growing up where it was like, you didn't like, I didn't know when somebody was going to snap or when somebody was going to get angry or when something was like, if I didn't like close the door the right way, I was going to get yelled at. And it was like, like weird little things here. I was, you're always like kind of waiting around. And I think it's like, some of these questions are like kind of confusing. Cause I think that me personally, like I take more of a bullheaded approach to basically everything. And so I would kind of get angry at my mom and dad and I'd be like, why don't you just yell at them and you just tell them to like F off and stuff like, like I get pretty mad and I still kind of hold true to that. I think that like, you know, like from, but I think ultimately when it comes to like reconcile reconciliation in our family, I think it has come from just like what I would say is a direct confidence that I've seen Jesus give my dad and Reagan and my mom in approaching like directly approaching the sin that was out there for everybody to, to, to see, but everybody was forced to interact like, like it, we were behind closed doors. So like with alcoholism, it was like, let's all pretend like this isn't actually an issue. And like, let's just try to do Christmas. And I think as, as, as you guys all, me being a kid, seeing as you guys grow in your sanctification, your confidence to like stick standing up to the dry alcoholism or standing up to the verbal assaults and things like that. And just being like, no, we're not going to take that. Like we have children now we have kids and like, we're not telling you to stop doing this because we're mad at, because we hate you. We're telling you this because we love you. And so I think just from like my perspective and from, and I'm not going to speak for my brothers, but probably just the perspective of a lot of younger people who are a little bit more removed from the direct, like alcoholic abuse or whatever sort of abuse that there is in the, in the family and in your family. I think seeing like, like, I I think like our culture loves to make Jesus out to be this like super quiet and kind and like, didn't really, he never ruffled any feathers and like, that's just clearly not who Jesus was. I mean, they, they murdered him because he caused, he caused, he ruffled feathers to say the least. The Pharisees didn't like him. The Sadducees didn't like him. Roman government ended up not liking him. Nobody really was a big fan of Jesus. And I think giving, seeing that confidence um, play out in my own family to say like, we're reconciling around this confidence and in the Holy spirit that Christ has given us. So that's kind of the way that I've seen reconciliation and that can swing too far to one side of the pendulum too, where your like confidence becomes 
like abrasiveness and arrogance and anger. But I think that our family has done, I've probably done the worst job. My mom is, it, it goes pretty far off to different sides of the pendulum. When she gets mad, she'll me and me and her both will go off on people. And I think that maybe my dad is a little bit more passive, but I think that we've tried to like even each other out and strengthen each other in these ways. And like, and I think that that's how I see God working in our family and like tempering us all off in ways that we need to be tempered and then giving us more confidence in ways that we need more confidence. Yeah. But in Jesus spoke truth because he wanted healing. Yeah. He didn't speak it to destroy. Yeah. Right. And if that's what we're walking into, like there's been times I have driven home for a holiday, literally praying for almost the whole car ride. Like, yeah, just God move. Right. And, and cast down, you know, anything that is not of you <laughs> and right. just everything like, and just pleading. And, and, and that's good because it got me closer to Jesus. And then I walked in with a different heart in asking, you know, I think something that's really important is like, if we can ask the Holy spirit, like, will you show me, you know, the broken places that, you know, someone in my family may have. So I have more compassion on them, not because I, I don't, like how they act, but to understand like where they have been through so much pain. And that's the, the reason yeah. why, yeah. and he has shown me that many times. And, and sometimes it's been difficult to absorb, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, I do have so much more compassion because it's like, right. okay, you know, they went through some really hard stuff and, and they need Jesus. And it, I just come in a lot softer, um, and Andy, I want to say like, yeah, you're bullheaded, but I've also seen you sit on my fireplace and ball your eyes out True. because not everyone was getting together. And so you you have a very tender heart mm-hmm. and you, since you've been a young boy, you mean you've had a great desire for our family to be together. And I think maybe before you even understood what that was, like yeah. you would get mad. Like, why can't mm-hmm. we all be together? Why is this so hard? Yeah. And you know, and we're just like, that's just the way it is, you know? And I was kind of resigned, like, this is just our life. This is the way it is. And you fought for it. And it wasn't always, it was, it sounded bullheaded, but I think it was from a very tender heart of, of what you really thought. And, you know, so. Yeah. And I mean, I can give a little bit of background on that. Just one Christmas, it was like, my grandparents weren't there. And I, had felt like there was some comments that were being made about my grandparents and stuff like that. And I was probably like a 15, 14 years old. And I was kind of like a little bit too old to cry. Like it felt like I was a little bit too old to cry, but I was on the, I remember just like being like, why, why are my grandparents not here? Like, what is going on? Why does everybody seem so okay with this? And then I sat there and cried. And I think everybody was a little bit like weirded out and kind of shocked. Like what the heck is going on? Why is Andy crying? But I, that's just like to, to like the, that's like the background to what you're saying, Reagan, because I think it did bother me. And I think that this is one of the most important issues, especially for our generation and our time period that people don't want to talk about, like the broken families, divorced families, people who hate each other, cousins and all like, there's so many issues in families and nobody wants to talk about that stuff publicly because they want to keep their perfect family persona out there on Facebook and Instagram and everything and pretend like everything's perfect. And it's, and it's like, 
welcome to the Schmidt show. Like, I don't like that. You're not, your family's not perfect and neither is ours. And until somebody starts talking about it, nobody's going to say anything about it. So yeah. And you guys have anything to say, dad, mom. I do want to say that, um, you know, for people who are out there listening and you are the spouse coming into a family like this, um, sometimes you can see things happening and you can see the pain that's being inflicted on the people in the family, but yet you are not really part of the family. Does that make sense? Um, you're part of the family because you married into it, but you're not accepted as one of the core family members in some aspects. And so when you come into a family that's got alcoholism or has these behaviors and you start to understand the different dynamics. I think it's really important for you as the spouse to start having those conversations with your spouse, because I don't think in our situation, we did that. And then what happened is it all came to a head. And what happens is you hold on to that resentment and that anger especially if you're not in the mindset of reconciliation and forgiveness and it bubbles over there hits a point where like it's going to hit a breaking point and you're either just going to separate from the family and say, I've had enough. I need to just cut ties because the family history in this family is there are family members that do not talk. I mean, Reagan and Ty come from a very large family and it's a broken family and they don't see a lot of their aunts and uncles and cousins. And that's really easy to do because then you can avoid any sort of conflict or any sort of challenges. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy, right? Then all I have to do is worry about myself. So when you start to see these type of things, I think having the discussion with your own spouse saying, Hey, I see these, how are we going to deal with it? Instead of holding on to it for years, which is what I did, it came to a head and I blew up. And then there was about two years where I did separate from the family because I didn't even know how to handle it. It was just like, I've had enough Anything that that I felt that we were doing good in our life was being criticized or mocked or just berated. And I just had enough. And I cut all ties for a couple of years. And that's where I had to learn to set some boundaries, understand, like, what does this look like for us going back? I had to learn to forgive, let go of the resentment and the anger. And I also had to get to a point where I was content with who I was in Christ. Like, this is, this is where God has me in my life. And I may not live up to your standards or make as much money as you expect me to make, but you know what, this is where he has me. And that's, he's the only person I have to account for. And you're still family. You're the only family I have. And that's okay. You can think of me any way you want. I'm content with who I am. And I think that's all part of the journey. And I think we miss we want to skip all these steps because we want to feel good. And like Andy said, we want to have this perfect family on Facebook. We want to have matching PJs. We want to look for, you know, like we want all these ideas because I think every one of us wants that feeling. We want to have that feeling of our families get along. We laugh together. I mean, who doesn't want that? But if you work towards reconciliation and forgiveness, you will have those moments. I mean, we just finished Thanksgiving where. I think it was probably one of the best Thanksgivings we've had in years. And Ty and I have been married 25 years. Yeah. And 
it was not perfect. We have some stuff going on in our family, but you got you got to give God a you got to give God a chance to do His work, and that could take years. And I remember I remember um, you know just that expectations thing coming coming back and being like you know like with my like with my parents like you know this Christmas I'm going to make sure that you know they hear the gospel that they understand that they understand what this is about because I want them to change I want them to change their lives and become Christians and then we're going to have all this joy and wonderful laughter and love and all of our Christmases are going to be you know matching PJs and all this stuff and and I I had to at some point it took a long time it took like I don't know 20 years after we got married I had to give that up. I mean, it took me a long time because I'm thinking in my head, I want these relationships to go well. I want, but, but yeah, but eventually it's like, okay, you know what? It's, yeah, I'm going to waste my life if I keep thinking <laughs> that this is going to happen. And it's not, I need to focus on the things that are important. I need to accept where all these people are at in my family and just, and just be okay with it. And then, and then, um, interact with them from that from that level, and because that's what Jesus does to us. That's exactly yeah, it is what He does with us. Going just real quick though, going back to what Carrie was saying about marrying into a situation like that, um, I, I agree with that from the perspective of the person marrying marrying in. The part of the part of the problems that come up in those situations though between two spouses where one or both of them are coming from a lot of dysfunction is that the person coming from the dysfunction a lot of times doesn't understand that this is that like this is just how it is this is normal you know that oh um i don't want to give too many personal examples you know but but so and so does this and that's just how it is that's that's how i grew up Uh, you know we have a couple fights every christmas don't worry about it you know and so when carrie would bring things up and she she would be like on edge and I'd be like, what are you so on edge for? This is how it is. You know, this is, this is, this is what's like. So just get used to that. Mm-hmm. And she's like thinking, uh, I don't think I can get used to that. You know, that's, that's like what's happening right here is wrong. You know, this person's being treated disrespectfully. This person's being abused in this way or that way. And then she would try and then, it would, you know, then we would get into arguments because it would come back to me. Well, why don't you stand up, Ty? And I'd be like, stand up to what, you know? So, so then I stood up and I became the problem. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it yeah. just kind of like and then everybody, everybody comes after her. So you have, there's a lot that has to happen in these situations over time for people to get their footing and to understand what's really happening. And, it, and a lot of it takes just, you need to get some outside help a lot of times. Yeah. And Ty, you just, I mean, you were so walking on eggshells for us was just normal. And yeah. so we didn't, like what exactly like resigned to the fact that there's anything really wrong. Well, and we came by it honestly, because you don't know anything else. Like that's how you grew up unless you spend a lot of time with other families and you saw something different, you know, you might not understand that. So, but that's, that's really good clarification. Um, so, I mean, Christmas can be obviously stressful enough. So how can we spend time with our families and not, feel burdened by them, you know, no matter the circumstances going on. We touched on some of it, but. Yeah. 
I, I'll start this off. I think that the big thing is like, mom, you were given a list of like, like in with family, I think you like, you have to learn to forgive them. And even if you need to take a break from them, I think the most important thing to learn is like, not only to forgive, but also like to learn to love them. And I think it's, it's like that, that seems to be the cliche. People are like, Oh, you just have to love people. And I, I, I usually say like self-sacrificially, loving because love in our culture has turned into like make them feel good or make yourself feel good, which usually would be considered like enabling, you know, like if an alcoholic will feel good with more alcohol, giving them more alcohol is not loving that's hating them. And so um, that's enabling them. That's not loving them. And so I think to, to actually love somebody, you have to be willing to sacrifice, especially for non-believers. And so when it comes to like, like family, I mean, for, for me, it's been like for a burden. I mean, to not feel burdened because it's like, as you people have heard already, our family is kind of dysfunctional still, and it will always be dysfunctional because it's a family of people. Um, And there's always like tensions and things like that. And then I'm now I'm getting married and I'm like bringing another person into that and like, Oh, Hey, welcome to Christmas and welcome to Thanksgiving or like, and she realizes things and it's just a whole, you just have to like talk through that. And so I think it's like to, to realize, I think it, it it's the cliche Christian answer. It comes down to the gospel and realizing that the burden that you put on Christ on the cross, on, on the cross, like you put a burden on Christ on the cross and therefore like to give kind of what Reagan, what you were saying, like to give people, kind of give them the benefit of the doubt or, or be willing to extend the hand of forgiveness and compassion more so than you would previously be willing to the way that Christ has extended that to us while he was on the cross as we are a burden to him because we are sinners and then how he has reconciled us, given us new life and we've become saints. But like we, I think it is a lot, a lot of it has to do with like changing my, for me, changing my mindset to like some of these people are going to piss me off and guess what? Like I piss Jesus off probably every single day and I piss God off every single day. And yet he still, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And so Christ still sacrificed for us, regardless of our burden that we put on, on him. And so I need to still sacrifice for others, regardless of the burdens that they put on me. And that that's just got to be a mindset all the time, no matter what. And it doesn't mean you can, like my mom said, you can't, doesn't mean you get walked all over, but it also, but it does mean that like, you're not, if, if you do get walked all over, you're not going to try to find the first opportunity to walk all over that person. Again, you're going to be, you're going to be willing to confront the actual issue and talk about it and, and try to build unity. So that's, that's what I would have to say about that. I think, I think a few things that I have set in place to, what was the question to not have the holidays be a burden? Is that it? Yep. To not yep. feel burdened by your family. Not feel burdened by the family. I mean, for myself, I've had to, and I don't, I feel like in some ways it's people will be like, Oh yeah, you just gave up. And it's not that I gave up. I, my expectations are no longer there. I have zero expectations of people. Um, I used to hope for a lot of things and I don't do that anymore. So I feel like I go into a holiday not knowing exactly what's going to happen, but that's okay. Because my expectation is that, you know what, we're getting together. Um, I anticipate that there's going to be, somebody's going to get irritated or agitated because that's something that's never changed. 
Um, so I anticipate that. And then I, I also just go with the flow. I, I, there, I know where I can step in and I know where I can't. Um, and so sometimes it might seem to others that I'm being lazy, but I also know that I've tried in the past. So it's okay that maybe I just take a step back or when it's held at my house, I pre I plan everything ahead because when the day comes, I don't want to be the only one constantly working. Like I don't want that. I, I, everything's planned ahead. I'm ready to go. We're set. And when the day comes, I'm a part of the activity. So a lot of it is for me is just anticipating and being okay with minimal expectations. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think, I don't know if you can do that. Right. But the question is, I don't know if you not, can. Not feel burdened. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's like, like, like in some way, shape or form, you're going to feel the burden of the situation, but you can't just ignore it. So either you give that burden over to Jesus or you hang on to it yourself and create a bigger ball of mess. But I think, I think the burden, you know, the, in some way, shape or form, you're going to have to experience that burden. You can't get rid of it. You can't hide from it. But you, yeah. but you can, you can submit yourself to God. You can submit yourself to Jesus. You can, you can ask him to carry the burden with you. Um, and, and it's, it is a burden. It's, it's but I think. Well, there's so many expectations uh, around the holidays that it when, becomes a burden. When I, but when I say, well, okay, we should talk about that too. When I say <laughs> burden though. When I say burden, what I'm what I mean by burden isn't um, like necessarily a horribly negative thing. I mean it's just something well, bear, that you, we're supposed to bear one another. Yeah, it's just something that it's it's a weight. It's something that has weight and that has to be dealt with, and it's hard. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I want to say that real quick, Reagan. This kind of goes into what me and you talked about on our podcast together. Of of like, yeah, you're not going to like. To try, you know, peace is not the absence of war. You're never going to go into a situation like almost all situations you go to in your entire life will be some sort of burdenful situation or, or something like that. And so, what peace is 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 a completeness and kind of like a firm completeness in Christ and understanding of who you are in Jesus. And so, so that you can walk into burden to the burden and you can have confidence and you just know what you you'll. It's not like you'll know what to do, but you'll know who you are. And so that burden is not going to crush you because you're going to just be standing. You'll be okay. But I think, like you say, you can't just walk away from, you can't walk away from an issue when you see it. That's, that's God's way of trying to test us and, and grow us in our faith in a lot of ways. But God will also <laughs> tell us when to close our mouth mm -hmm. and when to not do something. <laughs> Was that like a, Andy, you need to shut up for this podcast. No, right now. no, no. <laughs> okay. I'm just like, <laughs> it's true. I mean, that he, yeah. that if we're praying and like, God, you know, part of my thing is like giving up the control yeah. of my own flesh and what I want and rendering to him, like Ty was saying. Um, but, and he does that. Then the spirit, it's like, I, I'm just, because of him, I feel like I'm getting better of being discerning of when to say something and when to not, when to help you know, when to, um, step in and offer when to go for a walk, you know? And so I think there's like ways that 
the Holy Spirit will help us take care of ourselves um, during those times. So it, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Like, so you, like you said, so he takes the burden, but I know one of the ways that I don't feel burdened is when Andy brings all of the board games to holidays. Yeah. Everybody played these games for like five hours. Yeah. And at first I'm like, oh, I hate board games. And this is so annoying. And then everyone would get like really loud, you know, and, and then your mom would kind of go crazy and Carrie <laughs> would just get so competitive. And, yeah. and, but it's really like brought people together. And I mean, I was almost in tears over Thanksgiving because like my dad and were on the same team playing a board game and they were like having fun and asking questions to each other. And I was like, you know what, five years ago, this would never happen. And so I also want to acknowledge what God has done in our family to sanctify us and to just, you know, guide and teach all of us into some reconciliation. That's been really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I would second that. I, I, one of the things that just needs to be said about everything that we have said so far <laughs> is that we came from really bad dysfunction and we still have some dysfunction, obviously, but we have seen pretty amazing things happen yeah. in our family. I mean, I mean, obviously amazing things. I mean, miracles. I mean, yes, mm -hmm. just how, I don't even know how to explain it, but the fact that like we, like you said, uh, Thanksgiving, we all were able to sit down and people are having fun and there's respect and there's care and there's concern for each other. It's not perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect, but, but it's not what it used to be. I can tell you that much. So you, we, we have seen change and we've seen change in our parents too. Big time. You know? yeah. mm -hmm. So the, so that the, all those things that were happening in the past, many of them there's still remnants of that still happening, but, but many of those really difficult things are, are, are not happening anymore. Or yeah. at least they are happening. It's very, very minute. Mm -hmm. And that's a miracle. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Moral of the story is buy board games. Buy yeah. board games. And, and never oh, stop praying and never give up because we're talking about 25 years of, right. you know, prayer and George and I've been married for 18 mm -hmm. years and like, just okay like really praying for people in your family is so important and not giving up and being resigned to like that's just the way it is because there's so many times we all wanted to do that and but i think all of us just kept fighting through prayer and through showing up sometimes it's just showing up yeah you know well i want to say i think one of the mindsets that in for christianity for me and like that i feel like god is tried to help me formulate is instead of having the attitude of like, when is this going to be over more of like, when, what's next? Like, because I think I like what's next in, in the attitude of like, whatever there is in front of me, I can conquer it because I have Christ and I don't need to ask. And I don't need to complain and say, when is this going to be over? When, when are we going to get through this? When is the next, like, when is God going to, when is everything going to be? So like, I'll get through it and it'll be so glorious and I'll get whatever I want. It's like that. What that's death. So like when I die and go to heaven, that's when I'm going to get all the glorious stuff. Not now. Mm -hmm. So I don't need to have the attitude of what, what, when is this going to be over? What, why, you know, why can't God get our family through this time period quicker? You know, when is not, it's just like, 
No, you just wake up and you're just like, all right, like, like what's next? Like what, what stupid thing is Satan going to try to throw at me today that he's going to think he's going to knock me off my path? Cause good luck because I, and I think that that's the different, that that's the different attitude and not that I have that attitude every day, probably 5% of the time I do. And then 95% of the time I don't, but instead of, instead of just complaining about the situation that you're in being like, actually the Bible literally tells you, and it's overused verse now, but it's like, you know, we are more than conquerors now. Like you, anything that is put, put ahead of you, um, that seems to be unbeatable is unbeatable in your own strength, but luckily you're not fighting with your own strength. You're fighting with Christ. So I, I don't like the, when people are, you know, will say, you know, you know, you'll get out of it soon. It's like, maybe you might never get out of it. The person I think about a lot is, uh, the Prince of Pre- uh, Preachers, uh, uh, ch- well, Dad, who Prince of Preachers, the greatest preacher of all time. Um, Charles Spurgeon? Spurgeon, yes. Charles Spurgeon, he, he, he struggled with depression his entire life. Like he, There was a battle there that he never got through in his physical life, but I, I can... I can pretty much guarantee you he's in heaven <laughs> and he's a re, like, he's doing probably just fine now. So having a mindset that is more focused on the eternal glory than the the current physical glory is probably what's what Paul talks about too. So yeah, that's good. That's yeah, good. Oh, do you have anything else to say, Ty? Yeah. Just, just that we're never, there's never going to be a utopia on the earth. No. Yeah. Family is never going to be exactly how you want it. And if it is, you're a control freak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's good. You know so we have to, we really, that's a problem in our culture. We have to get rid of this mindset that we can make things good down here. Mm-hmm. It's never going to be good down here. There's always, we're, we're under a curse mm-hmm. as far as, as far as sin is concerned. Now we have Jesus in the new, the new heavens and the new earth or the new, the kingdom of God has been, has started and it's being, it's being progressed and it will come to consummation, but it's, it's not fully progressed here. And so we have to live in, in this state, like you're talking about, Andy, where there's going to be difficulty. We, we, we got to try to stop denying that and try to, and try to start accepting it and, and allowing God to do good things in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And choosing to walk in the kingdom every day, you know, and not walk and listening to Satan's lies and letting him get a foothold. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So how has Christ used each of us to bring our family together? Yeah. So I wrote this question. I want to just explain what it, what, what I mean by this is, so we're going to go around to each of us and I assign somebody for each of us to say how the other person has Christ has used them to bring our family together. So I will be doing, saying how my mom, um, how how Christ has used my mom to bring our family together. My mom will be saying how Reagan, how Christ has used Reagan to bring our family together. Reagan will be saying how Christ has used my dad to bring us together. My dad will say how Christ has used me for bringing us together. And that'll kind of be the last thing that we do. All right, we can start Reagan. You can kind of say whoever gets to go first. So. Okay. Does it do it in, in the line that it was in the email? Yeah. So Andy, you um hold on. I gotta find my question again. I lost it. Yeah. I don't know where it went. It's in the email. 
You want me to start, though, by saying how Christ has reconciled our family through my mom? Yeah, you just start. Just start. Yeah. So so for my mom specifically, I think Christ has reconciled our family. And I think through boldness and like there has been times where like, yeah, maybe she didn't use the maybe specifically the right words. But like I do think about circumstances where like Jesus is in the in the temple courts and they're using the temple courts as as a a marketplace and Jesus starts flipping the tables and just going he starts going nuts because he's not happy with what's going on there and and everybody's acting like this is all fine and dandy and he's had enough of it and so I think there was a couple there was a time a couple of years ago where that situation happened in our family my mom kind of just was like I've had enough of this and she. She lost it in, in a way that I thought was really good in a way that was like, we're not like, I'm done. Like it was the situation where it was like, you stand up to the bully and you're just like, no, this is not okay. Like you need to knock it off. And this, this situation, like, I'm not going to let this continue to happen as long as I'm here. Like, to, like if I'm supposed to be a representation of, of what is good, it's not, then, then I can't just sit around and walk and watch this trash happen. And so I saw that happen with my mom and, and actually like some people might be confused, like how could somebody screaming and getting angry and blowing up at somebody bring any reconciliation? And I think it's like, yeah, generally that's probably not going to be how you bring it, but there's certain circumstances where if somebody like in, in families, there are bullies. And if you don't stick up to them, sometimes, you know, the dysfunction is going to continue. And I'm not saying like punch someone in the face or whatever, you don't have to do that. But when it's time to like raise your voice and like make serious, like, like make serious of a very serious issue, I I think then you got to discern on when to do that. And I thought that my mom did that. And in this situation, which was kind of in my life, a, a a turning point for how our family interacted with, some of the dysfunction and, and crap that was going on we that people were pretending like wasn't actually there. And it felt like my mom was kind of just blew that lid wide, wide open. And, and everybody was kind of like, okay, now there's, you know, a bunch of stuff all over the place. So we have to actually look at it and deal with it in some ways. And so that's that, that would be mine. And yeah, that's, that's mine. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Carrie. Okay, so I would say how was Christ to use each of us to bring our family together? And I have Reagan. I think out of everyone in our family, Reagan probably has the most um is I don't know if mercy is the right word, because I really get the confusion on like the definitions, but I think she has a lot of mercy for people in the family. I don't think Reagan out of all of us holds like grudges does that make sense so I feel like no matter what happens Reagan will always come back and she's kind of that communicator between a lot of people and um, I think that when that takes place in a family you do have somebody that how do I want to say is a believer in the family but also grew up in the situation so has an understanding of everything. I think it's very helpful that one, she considers everybody in the family. And then she's also very truthful when it comes to the gospel and the word. And I I think over the years, I've seen that growth probably in her, especially now more that 
um, you know, it's been 25 years since we've been married, but I've seen how Reagan has, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen her lose it on anyone. Let's put it that way. Um, which <laughs> amazes me. That was just in the room by myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like there's a lot of like grace and mercy when she's there, which in, in a lot of ways, I think that helps our family because it just gives you like a sense that you know that, that even in the midst of the dysfunction, there's this, this, this care for others, you know, no matter what. So I think that that has helped tremendously within our, within this family. So that makes sense. Yeah, definitely a work in progress, but, um, thank you for that. And I would say for Ty, I mean, it, it does, like I said before, start with the moment that you had the courage to receive Christ with, after everything that you've been through. And I mean, and you have such an incredible testimony. So I do really, um, encourage people to go to Optive and listen to your testimony, Ty. And, and you and I just did a podcast on love by the King. Um, that's coming out too soon. That's I think, um, really good and talks a little bit more about what you've been through, um, and how we can cut off sin in our life. But so first and foremost, starting with how you receive Christ and you were young and you had, you know, been through alcoholism as well. And, um, just to be able to watch you and be like, okay, one day he's here. And then the next day he's over here and he's talking about Jesus. And he, and I know it was somewhat of a roller coaster. I mean, you, you weren't perfect from the get go and we all weren't. Um, and we still aren't, but just to see the change in you at such a young age, I mean, in the, you used to go after you found out about Jesus, you were like, seriously, I need to tell everybody, like you would knock on people's doors in our neighborhood from when we grew up and just be like, are you saved? Do you know him? I mean, my friends would see you preaching on the park benches on state street in Madison while they were at the bars and they'd call me in college. And I was scared to death for you, but I'm like, he's going to get his butt kicked, but the Lord had his hand on you. And for me to just watch you do that with such boldness, I was like, that made me feel like there's something real here. Like people don't do that for no reason. They just, they don't, it's crazy what you were doing and what you came from. And, and I've actually, it, I mean, I could go on and on. I've had people come up to me when I've been home and said, if it wasn't for your brother, by the prompting of the Holy spirit, walking into a party that we were at, we have no idea what could have happened. Like, you know, some of us might not be here. I mean, like serious stories. And so, um, I just think watching how Jesus has worked in your life and, you never gave up and you never stopped. Yes. You had issues. Yes. You dealt with things. Yes. You know, God grew your faith through some really hard circumstances, even as a Christian. Um, but you never gave up and you, and you stuck with your family and you and Carrie, even with everything you've been through, were committed because of what Christ has done for you. And I honestly, like, it is a miracle. You guys are married. It really is. And that's a whole nother story, but just to be able to see that and then to see what God has done through your kids and, um, through Andy is, 
really phenomenal and really um, a miracle. And that's just a testament to your um, leadership in the family and to you never giving up. And just there's something about you that is really, you have a lot of humility, like walking into certain situations of, I don't know what was going on inside you because I can't imagine sometimes, but your perception is, you know, you look like you're just humble and listening and um, absorbing what's going on. And you're very careful with your words. And um, I just think that speaks a lot, you know, and, and when you're in hard situations and people know where you stand. And so now you say like, okay, you know, it, it took you years to, to walk in and not have to preach the gospel, like, cause you want your family to be saved. Right. Mm -hmm. But you, you are the gospel with just how you um, react to things and just who you are now. And so that's just really beautiful to watch. Mm -hmm. Can I say, can I add something to that? I thought of too, right. I know. Yeah. My, it's not my person, but I thought of this as, I mean, there could be somebody listening that like is, would probably be like, Hey, well, this is easy for you guys to say is there's, you know, every, you know, Reagan's a Christian. My mom and dad are Christians. I'm a Christian. Our brothers are Christians. Everybody's a Christian. And you got a whole group going into the situation and you guys, of course it's easy. You know, I think like there was a time period where my dad was the only Christian and nobody yeah. else was a Christian. And that, that like you that's not like what the fruit that was produced is that what people get to see now but that wasn't what was there back then and it was years and years of like constant and consistent rejection from from probably family and people around him that were just like i don't want to do i don't want to do the christian thing and he just continued to go back so for somebody that you know even if you're going back you know to your family's christmas this year and you're seeing people that you don't want to see and you're like this is probably going to be the last straw i don't want to do this ever again i i would always just say hang in there one more year ever and because you don't know you don't know when the fruit's going to start to actually show and so you know, and that's that a good be... point, because I remember going to Christmases after Ty was a believer and I was like, oh, my gosh, now I have to go. And now he's going to be on me again. And now he's going to be like in my face about hell and damnation. And did I read my Bible? I mean, I was stressed. It was like stressful. And yeah, but what if it worked it, it, you know, and it's like I was the person that you told me to read Revelation first. So what do I do? I take a whole weekend in college and I read it and I'm scared to death. But guess what? It worked. And so, yeah. cause I needed the fear of the Lord and not everybody needs that, but I just think you're very sensitive to the spirit. And I think that God has worked through that as being by the grace of him who called you forth has been so gracious to our family through you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hearing all this stuff and I'm thinking to myself, okay, like, I don't feel any of that. I feel, I feel like fail, 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 fail. So whatever, whatever good has happened, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's not because of me, I can tell you that, because I feel like I, under, I understand, I understand how it, I understand what happened, I understand how everything progressed, but I'm looking back at a lot of the stuff and I'm thinking, oh, I should have been better there, I should have done this better there, I should have, I, I see a lot of failure in, in, in my past, so um I don't know how to interpret that if that's good or bad, but, but I'm grateful for, for the things that were said, but also, I mean, most of the things that were spoken had 
you know, I was, I feel like God was, uh, moving me in those, in those ways. It wasn't like, I didn't wake up one day and be like, Oh, Hey, guess what? Today I'm going to start to be the first Christian in my family. Um, even though for years, nobody's going to, everybody's going to think I'm crazy and they're all going to reject me. Let's, you know, this is a good day. Let's start. That's not how it happened. God, God did something inside of me and he, in, in all of us to the point where, where, where we say, I'm, I'm going to do what you want me to do. And I, I understand, I hear what you're saying, God, I hear what you're saying. And I'm going to try to do my best. And and then you just try to do your best and you fail a lot. And that's just how it is. But you were obedient. And I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I mean, you're a, you were obedient. And even though we all are going to fail, he's still going to work. Yeah. Okay. So keep, you need to keep being obedient. obedient. I want to keep talking about me. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the problems we have in our family. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Andrew. You're going to like, keep it. You're going to be like, yeah, Andy, uh, he's a good, he's a good Christian. Okay. Uh, what other things you got about me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, getting back to me. Um, yeah. but, but Ty, you, but I want, you know, and I want people to hear this too. You need to because on the other side of this is when people in our family, like that, we're not used to them encouraging us or even not non-believers, like, you know, receive um, the encouragement. Because I think God wants you to hear that. Okay. No, you, you need to say it right now. I received the encouragement. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you don't need this. <laughs> I receive your encouragement. Um, so, yeah. So Andrew, I mean, we could go. We could go way back. We could go now. <laughs> yeah. Present day. Present day, maybe. <laughs> what? Present day. Carrie, Carrie, I can say, has has exuded patience in our family. Um, so, so you get all like the Bible stuff, and I, yeah, your mom blows up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's God like my, yeah, my, my my dad or my my dad was like patient, and it was really hard at the beginning, and mine's like, yeah, like Jesus flipped the tables, and like my mom flipped out at a family event, and it was great. Bad words, but you know that happened. <laughs> Anyways, okay, Andy. Um. I, I mean, for, for Andy, I think, I think what I appreciate about Andy and what he has, what he contributes to the family. I mean, I mean, okay. Just on the baseline level, for some reason, somehow he has this amazing ability to just like, to relate to all sorts of different types of people and to somehow bring people together i would say i mean that doesn't mean that everybody agrees when they're together but but oh, yeah. Yeah. but there's something about about him that's that that draws people that draws people in and 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 he does it in our family and he's he's just his attitude and and how he um how he relates to people i think of you know just example of how he impersonates you, Reagan, how he's kind of, <laughs> that, that's a whole nother show. If, yeah. yeah. But, but it yeah. tells you, I mean, just so how funny. he sees things and how he, how he relates them back. I mean, it's, yeah. 
it's it's funny it's entertaining it's good and it brings reagan reagan will be crying at the end of this podcast (laughs) that's just one of my impersonations of reagan which (laughs) i will go ahead anyways I mean, Andy's, Andy's really good at understanding situations and he's, and he's actually good at understanding people. I think, I think, I think what happens in, in some circumstances is that um, he also has the ability to draw out what people are actually thinking. And sometimes that's, that comes through um, like almost maybe bringing up subjects that aren't, that some people aren't comfortable with, but He's he's able to draw out how pe- where people are actually at in the room, and then he's able to kind of move from there, and and try to create a situation where there can be um, unity, if if possible, or at least everybody knows where they stand. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, yeah, keep it coming. This yeah, this keep it coming. Yep. <laughs> uh, let's see. I got uh, yeah. No, nothing left on the list. 20 or 30 left, left to go here. Um, I mean, I think, I think one other thing that, that you're good at Andy is, is exposing, exposing things that are happening under the radar that people need to deal with. Um, for the sake of, not for the sake of trying to make chaos, which, I mean, that can happen sometimes too, but, but for the sake of, trying to create uh, truth in like an atmosphere where, where people are, people have to be honest with themselves and they have to like, they have to see the truth so that, so that they can like move forward. So I think that's a, I think that's a skill. And I think you, you have that and it comes out in your conversation and how you do things. I mean, I've seen you in situations, usually when it's just me and mom, it's a little bit more intense. Yeah. But I've seen you in situations with a lot of people where you do that very skillfully. Um, but in our, in our family too, it, it is very helpful. And then um, also you, you have, you, you, I think you have a good mix between me and mom because you have that ability to confront as well. You have, you have mom's ability to, to bring it if you need to. Yeah. And then you also have, you also do have a tenderness that 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 allows you to um, try to bring people together at the same time. You're a very very loyal person, very loyal person, which is fantastic because you don't see a whole lot of that anymore. And I I really yeah. appreciate I really am thankful for that. Yeah, thank you, appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So anything else? No, any more things? Uh, anything? Any other good things about me? Um, no, I think. Yeah, my I got I have a black eye right now for yep. people that can't see. You forgot um, to say how good looking he was. Yeah, no, what do you mom say that? I don't need that anymore. I'm 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 getting married. I used to have people oh, I used to make people No, I don't need I don't need like the public affirmation that I look good anymore. But I was gonna say part of our family dysfunction is how I got this black eye, but that would that would be bad. So I might even I might even cut that. I might. <laughs> but uh, basically, okay. So <laughs> that was that's not true. I was playing basketball and whatever. Um, I want to close this thing out. 
basically, I mean, do you guys have any closing things that you want to say? Kind of just try, tie things together. I know it was, it is a Christmas special Christmas themed thing. And family is kind of, uh, Jesus is obviously at the center of, of Christmas and he is what Christmas is about and what we expect of Christ coming in the Advent season. Um, hey, hey, guys, we're literally recording and you're talking. Yes, Ty and Carrie are fighting. Yeah, they're fighting. All right. Well, give me a second, Mom, while I try to... Can I, can I explain? Of Christmas? <laughs> Where was Jesus born? In a manger? Because why? Because they didn't have room in the inn. It was a rough ride for Mary. It was not an easy Christmas. So, like, I think if we think of, like, the original Christmas and how Jesus was born and brought into this world, it wasn't under these perfect, perfect circumstances and matching PJs. I mean... It just what didn't start that like that. And I don't think we should expect it any differently. So they kind of took the situation that they were given and they had to go with it. Yep. Yeah. It was, it was a hard, I mean, yeah, it was. However, he did get gifts. It was in a barn. I mean, they're in a barn with animals. I mean, are you in a barn? No, you're not in a barn. So it's probably better for you. So, so, and I'm just piggybacking off of her thought. This is something that I, that I was thinking about just the other night. And this might make a lot of people mad. So I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Hey, I don't know. Say it. But I think I should say it. So I'm sitting in my living room the other night. Okay. And we have a, this nice Christmas tree. Right. And it's got lights on it. It's got a star on top. And it's got a lot of presents around the bottom of it. And I was just, yeah, not because I did any of it. Yes. But I was just, I was just thinking about Christmas. And I was thinking, you know, what is, what is Christmas, you know, historically supposed to be about? And I know the answer to that. And I, and I get sick of that whole thought, like Christmas, one day a year, we worship Jesus. No, we should be worshiping Jesus every single day of the year. And at Christmas, we should just like be worshiping him more. I don't know. But, but my, my thought came in our family. I think we do a pretty good job of worshiping Jesus throughout the year. I don't think we do the best job of, of worshiping Jesus at Christmas because Christmas becomes, it really becomes about the tree. And what I mean by that is when you look at that tree, what, it, what does that represent? It represents, you see all the nice gifts underneath it. It's nice and pretty. You've got all these sparkling lights and the star on top. It really represents this idea of, of, you know, everything looking a certain way and prosperity and, and, and everybody's people, when we're giving gifts, we're not thinking I'm giving you this because Jesus gave me life. We're thinking, we're thinking I'm giving you this because this is, this is how we do stuff and I'm going to get something back. And you better give me a good present back. Like yeah, yeah. we're giving gifts because we're going to get gifts. Right. We can say Should we can sit there. Return everything? Yeah, right. We we can sit there and we can sit there and tell each other, tell ourselves that you know it's about Jesus, and and maybe for some people it is, but I I just feel like I feel like we need to really think about you know how do we actually worship Jesus? How are we going to worship Jesus this Christmas? And that's hard to do in our family at times because because we do have some unbelievers. And, and, and me being guilty of this, I've tried to like control Christmas in the past and been like, 
we're going to worship Jesus this year. I don't care if you want to or not. We're going <laughs> to. So, so there's a dynamic there. It's hard. How are we going to do that? That's, that's kind of how, how I just wanted to, wanted to um, last words or say what I needed to say there with that. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think it's the whole point of this is that it's not about, Right, right. Like I, we, and we've heard like the evangelical church, and and so the church has had a put big push on like get Christ back into Christmas and stuff like that, and they'll make it into some cliche little saying. But I think like, like actually, like what I mean, what what are we expecting? Like, what are we thinking about? Like Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Warrior, the King, the the god as man who came to save us all from the damnation of hell and our own sins and like that's what christmas is about it's not just one one day it's like the beginning of all of the rest of human history from year zero or i I don't know if i guess not year zero but whatever year from whatever year jesus christ was born on that's what christmas is about so if if you're yeah i mean i don't disagree with that like if, if you look at your tree and it's a representation of what Christmas of what you want Christmas to be, which is this pretty perfect thing, then take the freaking tree down. I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, like the, it's, it's not of, that's not what this is about and take the present presents back. I don't know, but, and don't make this a once every December thing. Like this should just be the catapult onto which you worship Christ for the rest of your life. And it should just be a yearly reminder of exactly what, what we need to be doing as Christians is remembering who came, the, the Prince of Peace, the King and the warrior who, who came to defeat and, and kill sin and Satan and all, all of evil. So, yeah. How about if we look at it leave on a positive note? When you look at you sit in a room, a dark room with your Christmas tree lights on. Okay. We are the light of this world. It is our job to go out and share what Jesus has done for each of us. And that comes along with family reconciliation, forgiveness, and following Christ's example for what he did for us. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. I'd love to close us out in prayer and pray for us and our listeners. Father God, we praise you and thank you for your faithfulness. We praise you and thank you that you sent your one and only son, Jesus to earth to be born as a baby, to live the perfect life father, and then to take um, the wrath for our sin on the cross, Lord, when we actually deserved it. God, I thank you and praise you that he has overcome death so we can live with eternity with him and uh, for eternity, but eternity, but that starts now, God. And so I thank you for this time together um, with my family, Lord, with Andy, with Ty, with Carrie, that we could just talk about the reality of how hard life is. But when we let you in, God, when we believe in you, when we receive you, um, then we have hope and we have hope of reconciliation. We have hope of forgiveness and we have hope um, of true love that we can love people the way that you would love them when before it was almost impossible because um, perfect love casts out fear. And we so often go into these holidays and Christmas full of fear. And I'm just reminded of when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her that she would be um, born or she would be as a virgin um, with Jesus. And what he said though, is do not be afraid. 
And so what I want to say um, to all of you listening now is do not be afraid. God is with you. And if you have not um, asked him to be your Lord and Savior, I pray now that you would, that you would just bend a knee and that you would ask him to forgive you of your sins, that you would lay your life before him and that you would um, allow him to be Lord of your life and be your savior. And that way the Holy Spirit will enter you, will help you, guide you and counsel you into all goodness and that you will bear fruit this Christmas and always. So God, we praise you and thank you for this time. And for those of us who do know you that are so anxious uh, about going into Christmas with family and traveling and all the details, Lord, may we just surrender it all to you. May we be a living sacrifice to you. Let it not be about us, but let it be about you and what you're going to do through this incredible week of Advent and when Christmas comes and every day after, after, like uh, we just talked about, that this would just catapult us into another beautiful year of living for you. So we pray it in the precious name of your glorious son, Jesus, the one who was and is and is to come and the one that we are waiting for to come back as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We pray it in his name. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you all for listening. We really enjoyed making this Christmas special for all of you. Make sure that you go check out the Optive Theology podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And then check out the Love by the King podcast also on any podcast platform. Make sure you like, subscribe, share, follow, and tell your friends about these great podcasts. We really enjoy doing this. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye. That's fine.